0: The Grinchy Wrestling Shows left lumps of coal in our stockings this past week. We're going to try to find the fun side of all the foolishness. And to join me on this trip to who the hell is that? Bill, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. If you're impressed when his heart grows three sizes in one day, you ought to see the rest of him. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again.
1: Another fun week of wrestling. I enjoyed this week. Happy Chinooka to you and your people from your part of the world. Well, thank you very much. It's still ongoing as we are recording, and Christmas right around the corner, a fun time of the year.
0: Happy Festivus for the people like me who have grievances that they need to air with many people around the world. So just a a, a joyous, celebratory holiday season all the way around. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, I almost, on both the wrestling programs that have occurred since we last convened, that we watched, I've, we talked after Raw, but we hadn't had time to see it yet, but Raw and Dynamite, oh boy, it, it it's almost like they gave those of us who don't like the modern wrestling, and the, the viewers out there, the listeners in the Cult of Cornette, It's almost like they said, you know what? We're going to give you a Christmas present. We know that Cornhead don't like to talk about modern wrestling, and we know y'all don't like to watch modern wrestling. So we're going to make this the most entertaining show for people who don't like modern wrestling that we possibly can. There were over one person said one of the segments we'll get to was the Plan Nine from Outer Space of Wrestling Angles i think that kind of summed it up it was uh, do you think everybody was worried about the weather brian they were just worried about the weather this week they had other things on their mind the bomb cyclone you haven't been bombed yet you're about to be bombed
1: right now we have some frozen rain
0: yeah well it's gonna get a lot worse and i and by, by the way I i can't even claim that it was Worse weather in Louisville than anywhere else. Did you, Wyoming got a wind chill of 70 below. The people in Wyoming must be frozen stiff, all seven of them. But this is ridiculous for the, for the listeners around the world. The Antarctic apparently sent it, not even Alaska and not even the, you know, just the, the goddamn, the North pole sent us a bomb cyclone and ridiculously high winds to go along with sub-zero temperatures. And it got to... Did you hear the wind chill in Dallas, Texas at one point was four degrees below zero? I hadn't heard that, no. In Dallas, Texas. I w- My first week in world class, I think i told this story before, so I won't go into egregious detail, but I woke up the next day in my La Quinta motor inn room after the it was after the big New Year's Eve deal, I believe, with the uh, Flair and Carry in Fort Worth, where they had to go an hour and Flair had to pull all of his bag of tricks out, but they got like six inches of snow in Dallas, and it was like twenty nine degrees, and that was so unheard of that the whole town shut down, and there were people on the in the side of the ditch. And, uh, you know, just trying to go across the interstate to the 7-Eleven. were taking your life in your hands because they hadn't seen anything like that. And they were doing outdoor shows in South Texas in January at high school football fields and shit. Because it'd be like 50-something degrees at night. So if it got four degrees below zero wind chill in Dallas, those goddamn... That was bad. But anyway, I'll have you know, and this is what you got coming... At 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, it was 49 degrees in Louisville. But 250 miles to the west in St. Louis, it was 5 degrees. And then here in Louisville, by 9 o'clock, the wind was blowing 40-something mile an hour wind gusts. It was down in the 20s. It flash froze all of the rain that had fallen yesterday when it was warm. And it was snowing like a bitch. And by the time he got fitted last night was down to I believe the it was four degrees below zero here at the castle when I got up this morning. That was the air temperature, and they were forecasting the wind chill depending on where you were to be between i think eighteen and twenty eight below zero here in Louisville We haven't had a it was a wind chill warning we haven't had one of those in seven years as a matter of fact, the last time we had one. I'd made a drastic mistake and booked myself on two legend shows in the Carolinas. I could see the Rock and Roll Express and Tom Pritchard and handsome Jimmy Valiant and blah, blah, blah. I figure, what the fuck? I'll work two days in January. Otherwise, I'll stay in the house. What are the odds? I left the house. It was 20 below wind chill. But anyway, so we got like three or four inches of snow. Nothing like the people in Buffalo are about to get another two feet or whatever. But the the cold is ridiculous for this part of the country and for most parts, of the, i think they said 200 million people in the united states were under some kind of weather advisory and the wind chills were going to be below freezing all the way down into florida which they've got iguanas fall comatose iguanas are falling out of the trees in florida have you heard about this have you read about this
1: i've heard nothing
0: about this no you know the the lizards, the iguanas, right? You see them when you go to Florida. They're running around. They're not. I'm not talking like three feet long, but the guy salamander. Well, I don't eat I don't know what they call them up in New Jersey, but they made a movie about them one time, Night of the Iguana. You may have seen it, but anyway, they get the the lizards, the iguanas, the whatever the fuck they are down in Florida, and they can get to be, you know, eight inches long, ten inches long. I think you know the ones that run around in. I don't know what they look like down in Alligator Alley, but down in downtown Orlando, across from Universal Studios, they can be that lengthy. But when it gets below like forty degrees or whatever the cutoff point is, they go into hibernation, and so when the these high winds and the sudden drops in temperatures. When it blows through, if they're in the trees or hanging out on a tree limb or a fucking roof or a gutter or whatever, and they get sub-temperatured, they go into hibernation, they're like comatose, and they just fall off of wherever they are and they're landing on people. And then people are thinking that they're fucking dead and picking them up and potentially trying to take them home, some kind of souvenir, but it's Florida, potentially have lunch. I don't fucking know. And then they come back to life when they get warmed up and people are shocked. So beware of iguanas playing possum. I'm not I didn't make that up. That was on the news. Have you been watching the news lately?
1: No, I don't watch uh, Kentucky's coverage of the Florida news too often. Well,
0: no, this was the national. It's a national news story. What show? Not the iguana on the MSNBC. It wasn't not the iguanas. It's the goddamn... Uh, uh, the news of the national weather emergencies where it's cold everywhere and it was 70 degrees below zero in Wyoming and things and such of that nature they're they're, they're alerting people to beware of the fucking iguanas playing possum down in Florida it, Harley had to go out to piss and she loves the snow and she can't wait to go out in the snow she doesn't understand wind chill she doesn't understand it's three inches of snow with when it's 28 degrees, is different than three inches of snow when the wind chill's still in the teens below zero, right? So I put four coats on. Stace wrapped up. She looked like the fucking kid in a Christmas story because it's darling. You got to see the, the little princess. She jumps out there and starts running through this, and it's powdery snow because it's a cold. She starts running through that, and just burrows her nose into the snow and goes several feet and throws it up in the air and comes up looking like Pacino and Scarface. And and she just romps and romps until we freeze stiff and there's icicles hanging off our nose and we've got to encourage her to come back in. But she she has fun, but the other woodland creatures, I saw her out there second time she went out. She had a pair of jumper cables trying to jump start a squirrel to get a good chase going. It's so cold, I'll have you know. What weather related uh talk do you have to contribute before we move on? I don't have any weather related talk. Well, I just thought you might get in the in the spirit of the thing, the holiday. It's going to be a white Christmas. That didn't that, doesn't that mean something even to your hardened heart? It'll be nice, but we're not there yet oh you will be so weather the
1: weather let's uh move on with the non-weather portion
0: all here. right you're just hey if you think you're anxious to get finished with this program i've got homemade cheesesteaks and chicken nuggets up for the on the menu tonight we're we're blowing it out for the holidays homemade chicken
1: nuggets in the sense that you actually got the ground chicken and made them or you just bought you them in the store you don't
0: and... grind chicken for nuggets First of all, what do you I mean? don't know what cat would be chicken meatballs if you try to be that. So, <laughs> I guess that's true. Nevertheless, and we got and we got the shaved beef steak and the hoagie rolls and not only some provol cheese, but also some provolone and some cheese whiz, just in case we want to change it up. Along with the onions and the peppers and the and the mushrooms and the puddin pops. All right, you're gonna just blow out your diet at the end of the year. Well, I got, I got some room. <laughs> it's not it's not normal that I've got room at the holidays to gain a few pounds. I can gain five pounds and still not be anywhere outside of my uh comfort zone so i've i've got i got room to i'm I'm trying to use my budget up at the end of the year. I want to thank everybody a bunch of the cult members and friends around the world have sent uh cards to us uh to stace and I for Christmas and harley. Harley gets, as a matter of fact, Harley gets more little presents than than I do from the folks, uh, you know, they'll mail me something every once in a while, something we've talked about or whatever. I think I got five copies of The King of Quarters. What is the name of that goddamn movie, the Donkey Kong movie now? The King of Kong. The King of Kong, The King of Quarters, I was trying to say. Uh, but anyway, Harley gets more squeaky toys at this time of year, and Neely J, she loves the little gremlin you sent whatever it is you squeeze it and he goes uh but anyway i want to thank everybody for that and also a few gift cards and some interest i won't shame anybody with uh praising them too highly on on what they've sent and and john you know who you are uh but if you're wondering where your cornets collectibles gifts are this christmas well i'll have you know as we mentioned on the drive through a few days ago, everything ordered through December 15th has been signed up and packed up and, and shipped. And another big batch of stuff is going out right after Christmas that will carry us through December 23rd. So everything is moving along swimmingly. And remember that the store at jimcornett.com will be closed January 1st through the 8th. If you want to use your Christmas money, jump in there by New Year's because we have to restock and. I have to reevaluate the Feather Bottom's progress in trying to streamline everything. They've been doing pretty good with that fuck system, the Feather Bottom's ultra-careful handling. But we're going to see it. So we're closed January 1st through the 8th, and then all kinds of big brand-new items coming up this year. Stay tuned. Do not miss it. I'm trying—I'm vamping here. Can you tell? Because my emails got flummoxed. I got a couple of shout-outs. Aha! Thank you. Number one, <laughs> as I'm trying to read my own writing. Hey, I was it's goddamn, it's 20 below zero outside. It's Christmas weekend, and we're still doing this programming. Forgive me for not being as goddamn organized as I usually am. Mark from Hull, England, uh wrote an email and he lost his grandfather to cancer this past April. And he's had a hard time with it, but they listened to some of our shows, Brian, together and uh Mark says he was a cantankerous, extremely funny, a uh, real wordsmith. I often would play him snippets of your show and tell him how much you remind me of him. He would laugh and agree. I would, if I could, do a good accent. I don't even I, now. You can't even say British accent because since I've been over there, I know there's a hundred miles down the road the difference in Birmingham. And in London, and in you know, ver Manchester and various places. But if I could do a good accent, we should we should work on that, Brian, and do for our UK listeners do one of the shows sometime. Both of us as as British as Sebastian Cabot. What kind of British accent? Well, that's what I'm saying. There's different ones. I we'd have to study. Maybe we could do it as a, as Cockneys. I'll knock you on your bottle and glass. <laughs> is
1: that what do that you know is? The, the, that's Cockney. You know
0: there's there's a cockney rhyming slang adrian street can do it he could rattle it off and he knew everything and the boys would talk to that were versed in that would talk to each other in that way in a dressing room sometimes they could talk about the american guys right in front of them and they wouldn't know what the fuck it's a rhyming slang so if, if you're trying to substitute ass it's bottle and glass bottle and glass ass i'll knock you on your bottle and glass and I, now that I've said that, I bet you there's a bunch of listeners over there across the pond that are going to send me all kinds of examples and we can read them on the air because it's funny as fuck. So people say the people in the southern United States have a lot of great sayings and verbiage and et cetera, but there's some fucking hilarious shit going on over in, in the UK. In the southern it's, United Kingdom, I guess you're saying. In the, well, no, southern, northern, eastern, western. I don't know my way around over there. I don't know how to turn left or right to go to Germany or whatever. But it's only really in the northeastern United States with you boring assholes that people aren't colorful with their language. Well, they're colorful.
1: The times you were in England, you weren't tempted at all to hop over to France, check it out?
0: Well, it's not like I was just dicking around for a week with nothing to do. We did have shows. We had two and three days off at a time, but we had not... Been to England the first trip, we hadn't been there before, so we wanted to see a bunch of that. And then the second time, we weren't there as long. Still had shows going on, but we're not going to goddamn Paris and Brussels and Vladivostok. I said France. Well, yes, that's why I included Paris first. But we yeah. could just be just bopping around the whole goddamn world like they used to back in the vaudeville days. I, you know, I would kind of like that, I think. People thought nothing back in those days. You read W.C. Fields' biographies and and his own notes and papers that he left behind. And in the days before either flight at all or especially transatlantic flight, when the big major vaudeville performers, Broadway stars or whatever, would go on the, the European tour, they'd get on a boat. And it'd be two or three weeks before they got there or whatever. And then they'd be there for two months playing all these different places. and So they'd be actually gone from their homes for like three or four months at a time, thought nothing of it, because that was the only way to do it back then. It would have made me nervous. Couldn't be away from the home base that long. Back to Mark from Hull. Mark, we're sorry to hear about your grandfather, but thank you again for checking in with us and, and letting us know that we can do something to help you out to uh, especially the raccoon intruder stories, he says, are a particular highlight. And also, wait a minute. Hold on here. Ah. So he wants more raccoons, is what he said. More saying. raccoons. Well, it's it's we're out of coon season right now, to be honest with you. It's too cold. They're, they've gone wherever they've gone. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we had a tree cut down on a neighbor's property to the left uh, here a couple weeks ago. And, uh, the power company actually came, took the top of it out and Corky, the lumberjacks taking care of the rest because it was, it was dead and it was near the power lines. But as they were, the guy was up, I was watching out the office window with the binoculars. As a matter of fact, just, I, you know, I like to see the procedure they go through when they're 60, 70 feet up in these fucking trees. I'm thinking, holy shit. And as soon as he was sawing with the power saw or the chainsaw and this, this one big limb and the other rest of the crew's down at the bottom. This fucking, I don't know whether it was a possum or a raccoon. I couldn't see because it was very fast and it was dodging, but it came out of a goddamn knot hole and shot around the stalk of that tree and ran off crossroad into the woods. So apparently he was rousted out. Anyway, we mentioned a couple of shows ago. I think you were reading a fan question. It may have been the drive through because he said J- he was John from Cincinnati, not that one. Right, well, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, and immediately you uh, he was tr- referring to John Moxley of Cincinnati, right? But the the place that I immediately went to mentally was John Mills. And you said John Mills cuz you did you even remember who John Mills was or having heard his name? I did not know. Okay. Well, John Mills from Cincinnati was a, a, a devoted fan and a, a kind of an, he was an official photographer. I think he did some work for the magazines and maybe later on in the eighties, he started coming down also for to Louisville cause Cincinnati and Louisville is only like 90 miles apart. And cause me and Eddie Gilbert, all of the Memphis photographers had gotten to business. So he was taking up some of the slack, uh, even fucking Sam Lowe for heaven's sake became a manager. Uh, but anyway, John was one of the guys, though, in Cincinnati that had been there as long as you know anybody could remember going to the matches. And so James wrote uh, an email saying, Hi, Jim and Brian, I wanted to thank you for mentioning John Mills on the show the other day. John passed away eight to ten years back, but for a short while, I ended up in immediate contact with him nearly every day. Like most who are at that weird level of wrestling, he seemed to be missing a few of his marbles. He would call me at two in the morning and say, what, are you sleeping? Let's call the one-man gang. And before I could advise him that I didn't want to piss off a massive man like the gang, he'd be dialing on three-way and waking up the Akeem the African dream himself to talk about nothing in particular for what felt like hours. Here's the, John, and now, to describe John Mills, he was kind of short and... I you know I'm not saying he wasn't a fat guy but he was a little dumpy it's not like he had an athletic build and he had long hair and just kind of scruffy beard and usually I remember wearing him wearing a cap a lot of times so the next line got me John always told me he was Jay Idol on the indie scene but I never ever saw footage of this he also claimed to, like you, have been a Memphis photographer and that he had ties to The Undertaker and other big names who remembered him fondly. As I'm saying, in the late 80s, when Mark had showed up as Master of paid in Memphis, John Mills would come down and shoot pictures at the Louisville Gardens. I was tied to him for a few months as he and I both booked talent to go to the Fiasco in Frisco in 2007, the fan festival where no one was paid lex luger had a muscle stroke leaving him in the shape he's in now and the promoter ran in fear from the likes of roddy piper chasing their booking fee you remember that right? the cow palace oh i you, can never forget that of course um and again for, for the younger listeners who was the promoter do you remember what how what entity oh, or the don't. guy's name but this guy had it. He may have been around mixed martial arts before, but I'd never heard his name in wrestling. And he booked not only mixed martial artists and UFC fighters, but also every name in wrestling practically that could be had for any price, wasn't under contract events for this big fan convention and fan fest in the Cow Palace in San Francisco back in 2007. And The Midnight Express were booked on it. They ended up, they never even sent them a plane ticket. So they didn't go, thankfully. When I heard about it, Brian, I think I, I, somebody told me it was in the Cow Palace, which is a 16,000 seat arena in San Francisco from a guy that nobody had ever heard of and gave me the talent list that was booked. I said, I wouldn't be anywhere near there if I was going to get on a plane. I would not be anywhere near that because somebody's going to get shot. And wasn't there a story where one of the fucking UFC guys actually was going for a gun or pulled a gun or something happened, but they were waving it about? Well, what happened? Was Don Fry, was it Don Fry that I'm thinking of got beat
1: up in the hotel? I mean, maybe that's the wrong wording. Let me look that part up. I don't remember.
0: got, I got in a fight. I don't know if anybody got, uh, you know. But, yeah, because some of the some of the MMA fighters had to beef with each other and ran into each other. Nobody got paid. People had showed up based on either getting a plane ticket or potentially a deposit, but there was no more money to be had. There were no fans. It was a giant fiasco that made all kinds of news. And that's where poor Luger rode across country on that plane. He, he told me a story himself with his head turned, talking to the Person next to him in a pleasant manner for five hours, and woke up the next day. Couldn't turn his head and was paralyzed. But anyway, back to John. Back to John Mills. Uh, this well, Let me. I, I just oh, found okay. something Did here. Did you find
1: something? Apparently, Don Fry was knocked out. Some people say he was sucker punched by Leland Chapman. Who is from Dog the Bounty
0: Hunter? He's the he's one of the delinquent sons of Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yes, he is, So Then they were involved also. He had bounty hunters, wrestlers, and MMA fighters. What can possibly go wrong? And then the hotel called the police. <laughs> That's what the <laughs> next <year> thing <it> here is. <laughs> it's all fun and games till the cops get involved. Uh, but anyway, all right. But so there, you know, they were involved there. Um, and James goes on to say. John called me during one of his later years and sounded bad. Then he just stopped calling altogether. And soon enough, I'd read online from one of his closer friends that he had died. I believe I wrote the only wrestling site report of his passing. And as most had no idea who he was, but I knew him enough to know him as the strange, sweet, possibly slow man who may or may not have done half the things he claimed to. And that's, you know, again, that's the kind of people you at least used to run into around the matches in the wrestling business. And if you knew enough not to potentially believe everything you heard, then they were fucking fascinating. And back then nobody was doing it to try to get rich or get on national TV because they knew they weren't going to do either. They just loved wrestling or bullshitting people into thinking they were somebody. And Cincinnati had a history of, shall we say unique and bizarre individuals hanging around the matches there too. Going back to the chic day. Have you ever heard about Mikey? No. From Cincinnati? No. Oh my God. Have mercy. Okay. Is the Cincinnati gardens? It was an old building. I think they tore it down here a while back, I guess. Uh, but they had matches there. I'm pretty sure going back to the forties, but the Sheik. It was a huge hotbed, and it's twelve thousand seat building. And in the late fifties, early sixties, that was part of the Barnett territory. But uh, the Sheik was huge there on top, and then obviously later on, he got Michigan and Ohio and ran there for years and years, and they did mega business until the mid seventies when Detroit and all the other Sheiks' business went down. But anyway, they were real old style, and they still had the second that would go to ringside with a, either a special shirt or jacket or whatever to identify them as second to take the jackets from the guys when they were introduced in the whole nine yards. And then it kind of boiled down to when the Sheik's territory folded up, because I'm pretty sure he was there for the Sheik too. He was definitely at the matches. I think he was doing the same thing. And then when Georgia started uh, running and later on Crockett started running cincinnati gardens mikey one of the seconds one of the ring stooges just kind of came with the building and because there's i just i don't know how that this individual passed muster with Ollie anderson or jim crockett or anybody to get in the locker room except that he came with the building right that's the only way because mikey bless him was like five feet two And a hundred pounds and looked like if Richard Simmons, grandmother, you know, didn't really take good care of herself, he was just small and shriveled and had this voice like this and he was as flamboyantly gay as could possibly be in the seventies and eighties. And it would if you if somebody in the locker room, which he would come in and he'd be bringing soft drinks or he'd be b- bringing a six pack of beer, he'd be bringing the jackets back or he'd be fetching something for the announcer. He's the errand guy. and He had a ton of energy and he was fucking hilarious. If you if you weren't goddamn anti-gay, it was the funniest fucking thing to ever to see him make these giant guys squirm because if if somebody in the locker room said, boy, it sure is cold tonight. He would figure out some way to translate that into a joke about sucking their dicks. It didn't matter what they said. And, or he would, (laughs) I got to take you down to the bathhouse with me. You'd be a real hit. I think he said that to Darcy, crusher Darso on that cruise ship. And some of the guys, because they were used to him, would, yeah, hey, Mikey, and other of the guys that didn't know how to take it or were uncomfortable with it, you've never seen fucking people's assholes tighten up like that in your life. And I often wonder what happened to fucking, because he looked, I don't know how old he was in the 80s. He had to be 50 then, maybe almost, just this little shriveled up character, but what a fucking unique personality. How old he'd be? He'd be almost 90 now. He now there's no way Mikey's still around. Does anybody in Cincinnati know what happened to Mikey? Let me know. All righty. And then I'll take you in the basement. Yeah, and I'll take you in the basement. And uh, oh my God. Anyway, um, you know, Ric Flair is going to be profiled on the cock this week. Uh, Apparently, the day after Christmas is the premiere of what is the title? Becoming Ric Flair or being Ric Flair? I'm t- funding Ric Flair. Hey, come on! God damn it. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a WWE produced piece. Uh, a that uh, piece, they call them. Well, no, now we don't know that because there's been some tantalizing quotes in the in the preview or the trailer, as they say in the biz. But uh we got to talk about it. we are recording we'll talk about this in a in a second but we're recording uh this show today obviously no we recorded this show yesterday we're recording this show right now and then for christmas week we're going to have a variety of omnibus releases and special programming but the next time that we do some live cut ins and clips uh especially if any big news takes place where we got to talk about this documentary, but flair says it's going to blow the 30 for 30 on him away. Now it's going to almost have to be more complimentary. Uh, so we will see what happened. I'm, I'm, well, now you know it's true. It would almost everybody. No, I mean, he says it'll blow it away. He, is there anyone more full of shit than Ric Flair?
1: About now, everything? come on, now. Yeah, this one that's going to be nice to me is going to blow away the one that painted a dark picture of me.
0: Now, see, it, now, see. Shame on you, Brian Last. If you're trying to put the mouth on this documentary before you've said what's going to happen, are you going to have to come back out here and eat crow if they include all of Rick's faults and foibles as well as his fame and fortune? We'll see if there's a
1: five minute section about him flashing women or hitting them with his penis unsuspectingly. How
0: much time we'll know. do you think this thing has? They've got to get everything in. They've only got a couple hours. I don't think they can give proper time to bopping people on the head with with a well. Nevertheless, there should be a
1: disclaimer at the end of it. Ric Flair was paid this amount of money to be here and this amount of money to say nice things about this. Now, we well, just say <laughs>
0: nice things about himself. We paid him to say nice things about himself. I don't know. Th- now, he, was he paid to be a part of this? One wonders. I wonder if that's the case. That would that Wasn't it so last year
1: he said he would never do anything with WWE ever again if Nick Khan was there?
0: I don't think Nick was in the room at the time that they shot this. He wasn't any. I think he was he, back. He only act. runs the company. He only runs the company. <laughs> he, just he didn't runs have the anything company. to do with this shoot. <laughs> well, no. Now here's an interesting. Is it? Uh, we've got to check into this, or we'll have a report on this. Is it? Is it WWE produced or just WWE authorized in an independent production company, and or like the Teddy director Hart thing was or producer. Yeah, so we we've got to, we need to make that delineation before we slander anyone in, with any specificity. So we'll, fi- we'll find all that out when we give the report on
1: The real truth of the matter is, as a fan of documentary films, the documentary that would be great would just be the real Ric Flair story told, just, you know, wham, bam, here it all is, without any cooperation. Just here's the fucking story. We all know the story. Here's, here's what it is. That would be amazing. But when it's going to you- be another, you know... We'll see if I'm wrong. If I'm proved wrong, I'll say it, but I kind
0: of have a good feeling. I know what this is going to
1: be before I see it.
0: Do you think the best documentaries on anyone or anything are done when the person is already dead and can't be a part of it? When it's when Ken Burns does the history of the, the Negro Leagues and baseball or the national parks or the whatever the fuck. And they're they're giving the unvarnished history of here's what actually happened rather than, well, here's this guy's best friend and here's his mortal enemy and here's what he has to say for himself.
1: You know what? I'm a big fan of Walter Isaacson. He's written many great biographies. He did an Einstein biography. Obviously, he had no contact with Einstein. When Steve Jobs found out he was definitely dying and nothing was going to change that, he reached out to Walter Isaacson and said, I want you to do my biography. I want it to be honest. I want it to be everything. I'll give you complete access to me. And the access helped. It was very honest about a lot of the dark side of Steve Jobs, his personal life and everything else. But that's a case where the access helped. But typically, the only thing you wonder when you do something like that is if you have a documentary about Jim Cornette, and it's produced 75 years from now. And there's no one in the documentary that actually knew Jim Cornette or knew people that knew Jim Cornette or even listened in real time. Like, there's nothing. There's no... Well, I would cooperate still. Well, you'd, you'd be long gone by then.
0: Well, now, wait a minute. You're only giving me another 70 years? Long, long, long gone. But the uh. point
1: is, you know, then you have a different evaluation of what was happening all these years ago by people who weren't even there. So... It does change things, whether you have the cooperation or not,
0: but it doesn't necessarily mean something will be good or bad. But it does also give you the historical perspective that, well, and, you know, 36 years after all this happened, we discovered that Bruce Wayne really was indeed the Batman or whatever. So then you get to know how the story actually comes out and the impact it had on and what what, in what way it shaped future events in that genre or whatever? Like the real-time
1: Watergate coverage, you know, which led into the book uh, and then, of course, the movie, All the President's Men, that coverage has been expanded. And, of course, now we know who Deep Throat was, but by and large, that's still the coverage. You know, n- nothing's been debunked or anything. It's not like Woodward and Bernstein—the movie may have done all sorts of shit, but no one says, like, Woodward and Bernstein's <laughs> coverage was bullshit, but we've just expanded what we know. So there's a case of the real-time story being in print, and it worked out. But, I mean, when you read, like, old baseball stories from the 60s or something, in real time, a lot of those writers were friends or drinking buddies with the players or just drinking buddies with anyone who would drink with them. And, you know, it's a different kind of coverage than you would get years later.
0: Well, a lot of those reporters were just just old souses just hanging around the bars, trying to trying to get scoops. But meanwhile, today in the modern world, like here at the at the Experience or at the drive-through or the Arcadian Vanguard Network, we have we have dedicated and sober sources, right, that are out here investigating all these newsworthy events. And Brian, since it's Christmas week, we you know we've given some of the minions a little time off. To spend with their various families. Some of them have more than one family. So they've got to sort that out, how they split that up. But, you know, as a matter of fact, Sharknado, understand, has three different wives in Will three different stop fucking it. states. Leave them alone. Well, but he, he doesn't get to see the one down in Des Moines very often. But anyway, so we, you have been assigned to cover the advice to the lovelorn beat this week. And and you've got an update on Riddle's romance report. Matt Riddle is in the news. He is apparently a ladies man to the point where we never dreamed. He's got all these He's got all these women. The problem is all of them hate him. He is able to get more heat with the women in his life than anybody in the wrestling business today can get in the ring and uh, I've been trying to piece this together, but all I've been able to ascertain, that's why I asked you to do some research in some of these tweets and posts, he was was divorced last year. I don't know whether it was because he was messing around with a porn star, but the porn star that he's been messing around with has now turned on him because she found out that he was messing around on her with another porn star. And I'm thinking, how does this mush oblivious simpleton get all these women to begin with? But then I realized that (laughs) substances may be involved because one of the bones of contention between porn star A and Mr. Riddle is that he told her he had quit doing drugs and wasn't messing around only to find out that he was doing drugs with another porn star and because of that has to go to rehab and screwed up the holiday vacation that he was going to take with porn star a have I kind of got the the uh, uh, the Reader's Digest version of this thing? I think so. I
1: really don't know what was going on over there. So the last we had heard was he was suspended or we had, I guess it's never even been confirmed by WWE. We had just been told that it was reported that he was suspended.
0: Well, it was, it was reported with the specificity of he's been, he's basically failed his second drug test. And so he's been, I don't know whether you can say ordered, but he has been told, go to rehab or elsewise you're going to get fired. So he went to rehab rather than, the other thing. So I guess that's technically suspended while he's in rehab. So when that happened,
1: at the same time, there were other fans talking about this. We didn't talk about it on the show because it wasn't even in any of the articles we read about it, but people were also jumping on the fact that he had a new girlfriend and this one being an adult film star, I believe, let me get her name here, Misha
0: Montana. And... I, I, I know her, her and her brother, Missoula. Well, apparently he's been
1: dating Misha Montana, and where the controversy from this part of his life, the Boogie Nights part of his life, (laughs) kicked into effect, was another adult film star, Jordan Max. Hey, folks, she's in Las Vegas from the 2nd to the 9th. Where you got any contact information? Someone tweeted her an image of Misha Montana with Matt Riddle and them kissing each other, and this is what she tweeted out. Does it make you feel better about yourself to kick people when they're down? Try to imagine, for one second, the man you've spent the last six months with, who said I love you for the first time two months ago, is all of a sudden making out with someone else, and this is all in caps, who is in your industry! And then, rather than keeping plans for Christmas and New Year's Eve, he's going to rehab. Do you have any idea how confusing and hurtful that is? And then I guess someone made another comment and she added this. Adding this here, since it seems many of you were overlooking it, I'm not mad that he's in rehab. He told me he quit drugs, and then to find out he's A, with another girl, B, doing those drugs with her, and C, failing drug tests so he has to go to rehab for it, is disappointing. I do hope that he takes rehab seriously and gets the help he so desperately needs so that he can be the best version of who he is for his future partners, his kids, and himself. I must say, rather... uh, And and his future endeavors. A rather sober and well-stated statement
0: there from uh, Jordan Max. And and so now, how old is this guy again? we have say he's, what, mid-30s, late-30s? He's got an ex-wife, he's got a couple of kids, and he's fucking around on a porn star with another porn star. And he's currently in rehab. While he has a job where I assume he grosses a significant amount of money, being a national television celebrity... 36 years old. Yeah, and he... if he was 22 in college, maybe, or whatever the fuck, but at almost 40, for fuck's sake, with children and a wife and two porn stars to support, he, 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 he Jesus Christ, well, I th- it, apparently we now know it's no fucking gimmick. He's just an eggplant.
1: Matt Riddle issued a tweet on the 21st, 3.01 p.m. It's an image of him with, uh, so I'm assuming this is Misha Montana, And it says, I've been working a lot on myself lately, and I've been (laughs) saying no and setting boundaries for the first time ever, and certain people aren't happy about it, but I couldn't be healthier or happier. Thank you all for the support. And he looks fucked up in this photo. (laughs) (laughs) What? uh, But, Uh. and this is all playing out on social media. That's the other thing. It's one thing all this unnecessary drama happening in someone's private life and all the damage that does, it's all playing out in public. That's kind of shitty,
0: too. Well, yeah, and and for people who say, well, you're kicking Riddle when he's down. Well, of course I do. It's easier, as Roddy would say. Uh, if he and everybody in his immediate romantic circle weren't doing this on goddamn Twitter or whatever, then we probably wouldn't be talking about it would we let me ask you this and by the way another
1: woman and i'm again i don't know who this is another woman who may be a wrestler uh, put on twitter a couple of videos accusing matt riddle of abuse also in the last
0: couple days considering that it appears they have let mandy rose go for what she was doing
1: all this riddle stuff again wwe you're marketing to, you're trying to market to kids, even though your audience is much older. If you got this guy dating multiple porn stars, cheating on the one who seemed like she had her head together with the one who's doing the drugs
0: with him, he's doing drugs and failing drug tests. What do you do with Riddle? Oh, boy, that's a riddle. That's an enigma, a conundrum. And before anybody says, well, it's sexist, so he's dating porn stars, everybody should be able to find love. Yeah. It, we don't care if he dates porn stars or billy goats. Right. But well, no, no, don't if, date, if you're, no, don't date animals. I do care if he date Don't date well, animals. Well, I was about to finish the statement. See, it'll, it'll tie it all up in a nice little bow. We don't care who or what he dates as long as he's not on the front page of the fucking newspaper or on the front page of TMZ or on the websites or whatever uh, with them and being accused of, of being... Unfaithful or abusive by others of them. That's where it comes in. And then, you know, again, Mandy Rose had, you know, her little tatas under the water in the pool. But if you have a picture of your Fox Network television SmackDown star on TMZ with his arm around Missoula, Montana, who's you know the the fucking girls are propped up there for all the world to see, and then well, we'll look up Missoula, Montana, and we see her with you know seventeen guys over at the drive in theater in the fucking movie that she just released and then and the kids are looking at that then it it all starts feeding on each other. I would suggest that he possibly for professionally and personally, it might be better if he had a quieter more private dating life it was less turmoil filled to to, you know bubble over into shit like this while he's on fox and working for the wwe and if you want to have lots of girlfriends do it just don't lie to them that would be another idea don't
1: mislead them don't live separate lives with everyone just be open and honest with everyone
0: there you go That, see, I knew you would come up with it, Brian. You on the romance, the Riddle Romance Report beat this week would be able to bring the tie this all up into a neat little bow. So that's all Matt needs to do is once he gets out of, once Riddle's out of rehab, then he can rehab his romances. Should WWE use this? It's been years since Val Venus.
1: You could have (laughs) a brand new Riddle coming out of rehab. Embrace it. You already knew he liked weed. Now we know he likes women and he can have all sorts of women
0: all around the country. Yeah, but then we'd still have to listen to him. That's the thing. When you listen to this fucking eggplant talk, I guess maybe we're not dealing with any fucking brain scientists or rocket surgeons over on the other side either. But, uh, can you imagine sitting around the, the dinner table or the coffee table at, at the riddle household listening to the, Various conversation going, you want to hit my bongo man? All kidding aside, if
1: you're WWE, is it becoming increasingly hard to find a way to have long-term plans for Matt Riddle?
0: Yeah, honestly. And in being serious, that's the problem, is and maybe not so much that they could say, hey, knock it off on the fucking website with the porn stars or whatever. But if this is a second drug test and it's not weed, which is to be honest. He might have a defense against, even if they if they were pushing it, because he said, well, it's my gimmick. I'm doing, you know, the fucking research, method acting or whatever. But it's obviously not that, and it's the second time, and he's getting bad publicity uh, outside that as well. I don't think you sit down and go, oh, for the next year, we can do this thing with Riddle, and it'll culminate with this big thing and have any confidence in that. I uh, they they've when you get he's popular and he's under contract and you know they're going to try to figure out something to do with him if he straightens out and when he gets his shit together but at the same time I don't think they're going to be anxious to put a lot of responsibility and a lot of work and a lot of planning into him and a lot of times when you get put on the back burner like that they find out that you know what we can we got to do this without you. So that's what he has to watch out for is the next time, next round of when the contracts are up. Is he going to get Braun Strowman? Cause it was like, he's making that how much money for that? You know, regardless, that's the thing is confidence in a guy that you can count on and depend on. And a lot of times when fans say, well, this talent decision was incomprehensible. Why did they push this guy over that guy or do this and not do this with that guy? Sometimes it's not because the guy was the shits. It's because they didn't figure they could trust him or count on him or depend on him for long term or whatever, for whatever reason. Injuries or habits or attitude or whatever, that's where a lot of that comes. And a lot of times it is incomprehensible. Johnny Gargano's on TV. I don't care. I don't care how dependable that motherfucker is. I don't care if he goddamn saves children from burning buildings on his days off. There's got to be some limit somewhere. Ugh. But anyway, we when we wish Mr. Riddle the best, don't we, Brian? I don't know. <laughs> well, we certainly hope that he straightens out his situation and all the porn stars get happier with him i hope he gets his shit together i don't know if i wish him the
1: best he seems like a rotten guy the more we hear this fucking guy
0: rotten apple yeah well you know what the thing is brian i've said this a million times if you sleep with porn stars that doesn't necessarily mean you're still going to get a good night's sleep no 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 you've not only got to have the the company but you've got to have The surface for whatever you want to do with a porn star, you got to have the proper playing field. And our friends at Helix Sleep are the ones that tailor those mattresses based on all your unique preferences, sleep preferences and otherwise. I mean, they've got mattresses made for people who like to sleep on their side or on their back or on their stomach or doggy style or reverse cowgirl. Whatever the position you want for whatever activity you're going to try out on your brand new high-quality Helix mattress, they've got one for it. If you if you sweat a lot during evening activities, they got a mattress that'll cool you down. If you're a, a big and tall individual or individuals, let's say you weigh 350 pounds and your wife weighs 562. Well, that's a combined 974 pounds. That means you have a 33 and a third percent chance of busting the shit out of your bed, frame, and mattress when you do it donkey style. So that means that you've got to go to the Helix Sleep big and tall sleeper mattress that's made to take punishment like that that comes when hippopotamuses are coupling. Folks, when you go to helixsleep.com, You take just a two-minute quiz, and that's the the way that they determine the exact mattress that they manufacture to recommend to you based on all of the things that you like. So again, it's just something like the temperature and the positions you like to sleep in and any type of sexual activity that you've ever been indicted for or charged with, even if the uh, case was thrown out, you just put that in the Helix Sleep Quiz. And they will tell you the mattress to get. These mattresses are American-made by Cracky, and they come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. So in the next 10 or 15 years, depending on the model you're sleeping with and the model you're sleeping on, everything should go well. And remember, you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. I'm not talking about the model you're sleeping with. I'm talking about the model you're sleeping on. The model you're sleeping with has risks every single day. If you don't love it, but I know you will, but if you don't, they'll pick it up for you and give you a full refund. I'm talking about the model you're sleeping on. Again, not the model you're sleeping with. The money you spend on that cannot be refunded. But folks, right now, if you want to go to helixsleep.com Slash J-C-E, there it is. There it is. It's in very tiny print, folks. HelixSleep.com slash J-C-E. They're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners because our listeners like to sleep the sleep of the blissful. HelixSleep.com slash J-C-E, up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Whether it's the model you're sleeping on or the model you're sleeping with, everybody's going to be happy with a Helix Sleep Mattress. Well, it's supposed to be a celebratory, happy, joyous holiday season, but some people in the wrestling world are not happy. They're not happy with their lot in life. They're not happy with each other. They're not happy with something. We got a little section of that today, and we got to start with Miro. Our friend Miro, the Bulgarian beast, apparently it's now being reported. He has not been, we've been saying, where's Miro? Why, you know, since he quit playing video games with his little friend Pip and became a monster and a beast, he he was, (laughs) the promos, he was mad at God and his neck of sand, and we didn't exactly know what the fuck was going on there, but he got in the ring and beat some people up and looked like a, a monster, and they need one. So where's Miro, we've been asking? He was mad at God, and God got his revenge by keeping him off TV for the by rest of his life. keeping him off TV. But no, actually, I don't know if, if... God don't smite people like he used to. Back in the biblical days, he had some good ways for revenge. Plague and pestilence. I don't know if sitting home getting paid is good revenge for... Is God gone soft like the rest of society? That's revenge these days. Sit home, take this check. Go back to your business. We'll we'll call you if we need you. Well, again, everyone— Actually, they, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, everyone's been
1: wondering, where is Miro? There have been no answers from AEW. Miro hasn't said anything. We don't know if he's held to a confidentiality agreement, which AEW loves to do. So, everyone's just been speculating. And coming out of that, his wife, C.J. Perry, the former Lana in WWE— was speaking recently on WMAY 92.7, and here is a quote, Rusev Day will never die. It's always going to be around. The kids are going to want to sing it, and I'm sure it will make a return to WWE, excuse me, a return in WWE at some point. Rusev, well, whatever he shows up back in, Whatever friggin' name or gimmick or character he returns at some point (laughs) in WWE is going to be iconic. You know, he, that's the great thing about wrestling, is it doesn't matter what company you work for, what promotion, anything can happen. Let's be honest. We know that everyone always returns back to WWE at some point. Wow! So let's stop there. That's his wife. If you're a promote, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but as a wrestling executive, as a promotion owner, as a booker, as a promoter,
0: what do you think of something like that's getting out there? Boy, howdy! And I'm not talking about the Wyatt family. Um, obviously, she's not just making this up. One would think that she is reflecting potential conversations that they have had, whether in their Marital bed or on their marital couch or in their marital kitchen, cause they're married, they talk to each other a lot. One would think they haven't been married long enough, they don't talk to each other, and one would think that she wouldn't just be saying something like that out of the blue if it had never been discussed, or if if he was saying, "'Well, I love it here, honey, and I never want to go back to the evil empire, but also. The, the idea, because I mean, you know, we've heard about the wrestling wives equivalent of the stage mothers in the business, you know, from the, over various eras and periods of time. But now that these comments can be boomed, disseminated that quickly, that easily, and everybody can see them, combined with several people now have reported that Miro was planned to be at... Uh, Well, uh, there was a match planned for him at Full Gear, and he would have been on television before that, some period of time before that, to obviously set that up and promote it or whatever. But he didn't like the creative. The creative that was presented to him by Tony Now, I'm not going to take up for Tony Khan's booking. I can't imagine that anybody in their right mind would like the creative that Tony Khan presents to them but he also works there for what one would imagine is a significant amount of money. And, you know, do you want me to give the, the only Anderson or the traditional old school booker response to, I don't like the, that doesn't work for me, brother, unless you're Hulk Hogan. Well, then you don't work for me, brother. That would be what that would be. But let's say, Tony, well go ahead. I was going to say, I have It's fucking squeaky chair. I was going to (laughs) say,
1: now I'm getting mad, like Miro. I was going to say, I have something here from Dave Meltzer who talked about it, and this got things going even further. In September, Tony Khan came to Miro and had this idea, which would go to a match on the November pay-per-view, and Miro didn't want to do it. A lot of the people that come from WWE are very leery, obviously Brian Danielson being the exception, about doing jobs. And then it becomes very difficult to book when you don't really want to do programs where you're going to lose. But anyway, that's burying the lead right there. But anyway, they went through and now November's over and now we're in a new cycle and they were going to bring him back and try to come up with ideas for him. And they very well may. Then his wife comes in and says, Rusev Day is going to come back to WWE. (laughs) Everybody comes back to WWE. And this is from Dave again. If I'm Tony Khan at this point, given everything that's happened and the wife of one of the wrestlers goes and says, essentially everyone goes back to WWE. It's kind of like, why waste my time pushing this guy? I've got a hundred guys on the roster. It's more than that who want to be here. And now you've got these guys who want to be in WWE. So again, this ties back into,
0: well, uh, well, uh, but uh, again, when did the Booker's directions become the Booker's suggestions? is is one part of it. Yes, I can understand in the old days they'd oh, you don't want to do this. Well, and you know, you don't want to do the job, you don't have a job. But if Tony wants to be talent friendly, he's paying the fucking guy unless Miro somehow got a screwy deal that none of the other regular folks on on television or on the roster have, he's getting a check whether he shows up or how many times he shows up, right? So, The Bulgarian brute, yes, he did take time off to do some kind of acting thing or whatever. But then when that's done, if I was Tony Khan, I'd say, okay, we're going to bring you back. We're going to do this and that. Oh, you don't like that? Well, let's say he wants to work with the guy. All right, then i tell you what. You're going to be at TV every week because you work here. And you're going to beat somebody in four minutes on YouTube. And every once in a while, maybe every four weeks, I got a two-hour television program on Wednesday and an hour on, on Friday. I'll put you in and, and you're going to fucking beat somebody every once a month or so for the next couple months on TV to make sure people remember you're still around and what the fuck you you look like. And I'm going to come up with another idea. And if you don't like that one, then you're going to be a TV every week and you're going to be wrestling on YouTube but you're not going to be beating people. You're going to be putting them fucking over. But one way or another, you're coming to work, and you're going to do something. I want to be booked strong again, like when I was with Kip. Well, and then we'll bring Kip, and we'll fucking shove him up your ass like a goddamn marital aide from fucking Hong Kong. And you can fucking walk around with him, and every time you fart, it'll whistle Dixie out his nose. But you're going to be on goddamn television.
1: Well, after all this Miro took to Twitter... And he tweeted at Dave Meltzer, What happened between January and June? To which Dave responded, Why don't you tell us? (laughs) What happened between January and June? Some people were saying it was a hamstring injury and other people were saying he's referring to the acting gig that we were told he was doing and it already aired months ago at this point.
0: So I don't know, again, why don't you just come out and say what the fuck's going on? I don't have any idea. But, uh, They started him out in one of the worst gimmicks ever. Then he was off TV for a while. Then he comes back and he looks impressive and people seem to get into him and he's being serious and then he disappears again. And now he don't like creative and his wife says, everybody always comes back to Rick's play it again, Sam. They're going to play Rusev day again. So what do you do for Tony Khan? I'd sit down with him. I'd say, look here. And here's the thing, if he was going to do a job on a pay-per-view, if creative in any way was good, or if he had any idea of how to make it better, because here's another thing, I learned this very early on from all the veterans in the business, if the booker comes to you with an idea you don't like, you better have another one to pitch to him that you do like, that he'll like better, or at least know how to make his palatable to yourself, or you ain't going to last long in the wrestling business. So if I was Tony, I'd sit down with a guy and say, OK, you know, we wanted you to be on TV and beat some people and get some heat on a guy and go to the pay-per-view and do the job with whoever this was. And depending on who it was, I could be offended by the idea or not. If he wanted to do a job for Pockets, I don't blame him for saying, fuck you. If it was for Brian Danielson or whatever, that might be a different story. But I would sit down and say, OK, what do you want to do? And then I would see if he had an idea. If he had an idea and it was in any way palatable to me, I'd try to work it in. Maybe not after fucking Lana's comments, but with the situation that has existed so far. And if it was completely ridiculous or out of order, I'd say, well, we're going to think on it, but you're going to be on TV every week or at TV every week available to us. You're going to wrestle on YouTube if you keep getting your check, keep putting your boots on, and then we'll. Should he keep getting out. his check? I mean, let's. I'm, you're well, talking that, about how to how to use him. I'm saying, should he keep getting his check? That's another thing. If he don't want to come and and just work, even if it just matches, just to, even to win, to lose, or whatever, just know when you get me in something, I'll come back. Then it. No, in that case, here's what's going to happen. You're breaching your deal. And we will hold you to it because now you're wanting to fucking go back where the the grass is greener over the septic tank. So we're going to hold you to your deal, but we're going to suspend it or freeze it or we're going to do whatever we got to do. And you can come and you can do some jobs for us. And we'll get something out of you at long last. And then, then when your contract is up, you can do whatever you want. Or you're not going to get paid at all or something, some combination of those things. What the fuck? Again, just I didn't like his creative. Well, welcome to the wrestling business. Figure out a way to fucking make it better and get it over or goddamn suggest something else completely or fucking just come to work if you want your check.
1: What if Miro announces that he has a son in NXT, that
0: he's adopted a wrestler and that's (laughs) now his son and he'd like to go work with his son?
1: (laughs) Should Tony let him out of the contract?
0: You know, I heard they were bringing up a new Russian talent to NXT, Vladimir Chapikakov. Yeah, I, I don't, I think that one may have been used. That one may have been used for this generation. What's the rule in wrestling? You got to wait three years for you recycle angles. Yeah. I think it'll be another three years. But uh there's more talent strife than just uh Miro in AEW, or at least part of them in are in AEW. And I asked you if you could look into this also, because uh, two of these guys are from up your neck of the woods, up in the, the Big Apple. But apparently now, in AEW, they have trademarked, a, uh, or trying to trademark, a tag team name for, who is it? It's bald-headed Fester, uh, Uncle Luther, or Doctor Uncle Fester, Dr. Luther, Luther. Yes, Luther. Uh, the, the Is it Serpentico, the little skinny fake luchador with the horrible physique? It looks like if he got sunburned, he'd look like a thermometer.
1: That does indeed sound like the description of Serpentico,
0: yes. And there's another one. There's three of them. Who's the other one in there? Angelico. Angelico, the, other, the guy that looks like a wacky waving arm inflatable tube man when he meanders down to the ring. They are trying to trademark the term SAP. It's Spanish. What is it? What's that stand for? Spanish Announce Project. Spanish Announce Project. And <laughs> the SAP, Spanish Announce Project, has drawn quite a bit of ire from the Maximo brothers who long time fans may remember for the past 20 years on the independent, not so much anymore. They're, you know, they've had a long career already, but they were the Spanish announced team, the S a T. So now not only are some long time fans up in, up in arms that, Tony, the, the wrestler-friendly company, and that these guys that are in the business, it's not like these guys are a secret, the SAT. Everybody in the wrestling business, in the especially that spent time on the indies, would know that these, that's these guys' name. So fans are up in arms, but also <laughs> the Maximo brothers themselves, none too pleased, and have been threatening various forms of violence and aggravated mayhem, from what I understand. Can you shed any light on this? Yeah, I'm looking into it right now, and let me just say for the record, I've seen
1: the name the SAT, or the SATs, I don't know what they are, out there before, and I've seen the name the Maximos, I feel like I knew who the Maximos were, I didn't even, I thought the SATs were like a,
0: an academic tag team,
1: I didn't really understand no, what the gimmick no, was. No, no, no,
0: no, for heaven's sake, the SATs knew. are that, that test that you didn't have to even fucking bother with back then, because you were independently wealthy even in those days, but. The, yes, the Spanish announce team, because it started as a rib in the late 90s when the WWF started allowing the one of the announcers' desks to be broken. Vince would never let the main feed desk be fucked with. He didn't want the English language announcers for the main pay-per-view, the biggest audience, to go off the air. So every time anybody wanted to do a table spot, they had to do it to the Spanish announced team that was sitting there, Hugo Savinovich and Carlos Cabrera. They were the only other announced team at ringside at the time for the big shows. And now, of course, we've seen, you know, they got, you know, Slapko Fudd and Fubar Makafakalube and all those guys from every country in the world. But um, so then this the Maximos, Jose and Joel started doing the Spanish announced team and they are the high flying team and they broke tables and it said it was a pun back in those days that the smart fans got. And then it just, it became their, their thing. So what do you got now? Well,
1: I got a few things. Here's some audio of, I guess the actual moment. I don't know what this is on a W YouTube where this trio formed their new group. Announced position. The commentators you hear, and Helico and Serpentico, but in the ring, in the ring, worlds will collide because in the ring, they will be the Spanish announced project. Yes, please, please.
0: Yeah, so they stole their gimmick in two seconds. It sounds like they're on the the fucking set of a game show, also. And poor Tony Schiavone needs to drink some honey or warm tea or something. He's overdoing it with his voice. He sounded bad for a while, actually, like vocally. Like it sounds, his his, his voice has sounded noticeably rougher for months yes. now. Yes, I, you know, I worry about all the people that are about to approximately the same age as I am. I don't want them to get anything because then that reflects badly on the way I think about myself. But anyway. So, the SATs are obviously not happy about three other... And and the problem is, are any of these guys actually Hispanic in the SAP, the Spanish Announce Project? Luther's not. He's from Canada. Right. Angelico looks like he's from goddamn Santa Monica. I think I... I want to say I heard he's from South Africa, but maybe I'm... What? Yeah. Okay, well, that... That ain't Spain or Spanish
1: or Hispanic. In. Hold on, I have a little more audio. Okay. You heard it. I heard it. Now, this
2: is actually fantastic news. Right. Not Ooh. only can you all enjoy my expertise inside the ring, but now you'll get to enjoy it verbally and in Wait. Spanish.
0: Wait a minute! Right. Wait a minute! <laughs> I've seen him. He's big and tall and lanky and he and Jack Evans try to do all the flips and shit, but my God, the voice sounds like Pierce Morgan on Helium. That's his voice? Is this really the Spanish announce team for AEW? And
1: Helico and Serpentico? Is Serpentico, is he
0: Hispanic in any way?
1: I don't know. Actually, I don't know anything about this guy other than he's been teaming with Luther since the beginning of AEW because Jericho got Luther a job.
0: Yeah, and he's about 145 pounds, and and he dresses up as a luchador, but he's never actually wrestled in Mexico that I'm aware of. I, I mean, I guess they have... Recently, but it's not like he came from Mexico. He's not a, an original luchador that is... As so, so the guy from South Africa, the guy from fucking Ontario, and the guy from... Well, here's Serpentigo. Let's, let's hear
1: Serpentigo. Y escuchen,
2: cada lunes, cada martes, cada miércoles, y cada viernes, lo que podemos
1: garantizar es 100% acción. ¿Por qué? Porque nosotros... All right, he may be able to do this. Well, shit. He
0: he, can Spanish his (laughs) ass off, (laughs) Katie. But nevertheless... All right, one out of three ain't bad. One out of three ain't bad. You got Canada, you got Mexico and South Africa represented from fucking... A little of the South African Mickey Mouse over there. But still... (laughs) Well, I'm looking...
1: To see uh, what I can find out. Apparently, the the two Maximos have uh, no surprise here. Two different Twitter accounts. So I'm trying to check out both of them. On the real Jose Maximo Twitter account, there's a pin tweet. Yo, King Serpentico, you fucking Mark, literally trying to steal our gimmick and name. Really? You think this is going to fly, homie? I hope AEW pays you enough to just do those shows because you can't show up to Indies. <laughs> hashtag S-A-T, hashtag real ones. And then there's a couple other tweets here. This is from Joel Maximo. The uh, excuse me, at real Joel Maximo, I should say. If we don't get a call in the next two days, this will look so bad for you, AEW, in our world. Here, our people stick together. They're not blind. Y'all really are wrong about this. And they attached uh, Tony Khan and AEW to it, and then... This will go on forever if we don't get our dues, AEW. We are a very different monster, and taking from us, without a permission or consent, Tony Khan is giving us the green light on all the foolishness the SAT can produce alongside our city, our people. Hashtag pretenders, hashtag AEW. So you don't think they're working an angle here? It
0: will never be over. (laughs) Ha ha ha. I mean, again, if you apply common sense, sometimes that bites you in the ass when it comes to AEW and the booking or the matchmaking or whatever. But I I don't really understand why that they would go to not only this much effort, but also to bring Tony Khan into it and make him look bad in front of the fans who are sympathetic to the wrestlers plight to put a fat 50-something-year-old fucking outlaw guy that got a favor job from Jericho, a miscellaneous, small, fucking, you know, regular-looking luchador who, if he can do Spanish commentary, and sounds like he can, that's great, but put them together in a group with a guy from South Africa who fucking has almost never been seen on that program, make them a group, Tell, they're going to be the spanish announced team then give them a gimmick that is confusingly similar to and an almost direct ripoff of one that's been established by a team that was full time on the indies years ago but to, to my knowledge is not you know wrestling every goddamn night of the week these days i don't know i don't know their schedule but hey has some audio wh- hold on i have some audio they post okay because i'm saying that doesn't make any sense unless these guys are all just friends and want to work together but i don't even know why you would indulge that well here's real
3: joel maximo i was going to make this video to apologize to tony khan and um aw and our behalf the maximo brothers our family the sat the spanish announce which we have been using since 1998 um but then I found out that you guys put a trademark on the name SAP Spanish Announced Project to delivery erase our legacy and that, that how could any wrestler take that as as a good? Like, have uh, I mean, your bookers there, Sanjay Dudd, uh, uh Christopher Daniels, uh, um, even Pat Buck, they know that we are here in the field. Sanjay Dudd and, and Christopher Daniels had great matches against us back in the days, they know exactly who we are. I mean, the fact that you have all these wrestlers in that locker room that see what's going on and don't say nothing that's disrespectful to us, that's really disrespectful to us because I thought that. You know, being in the field and having the amount of skills that we have of teaching knowledge and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving because that's what we've done for 20 years. We have gave our, our our style, our moves, the way we do things in the wrestling ring, the way we do things outside of the wrestling ring. And now you trademark the name. SAP. To delivery, erase our legacy. The fans are not stupid. I keep saying that. Angelico. Sapretico and Luther, will you will you really see that match? Put them across the ring from us, and really see what will happen in a match between the SAT and that fake ass SAP. <laughs> and then to get an, a reaction like this, yes, to get a reaction like this out of me is because I really feel strong about this. You see, we let the Spanish flies go, the Canadian destroyers, the Tower of Dooms. Everybody does it on SmackDown, Raw, to Impact, and AEW, especially AEW. We have to talk about this, guys. Something must be done. You have to make it right. Make it right.
0: Well,
1: there it is. Yeah, oh. You know what?
0: I'm I'm on his side. And you know what? That is the thing. By the way, the Spanish fly, and we talked about it's it's a ludicrous thing, the double backflip. But they started it, and the other stuff they were talking about, that's what they were doing. So whether whether we like it or not. At least, you know, we don't condone, well, somebody else ought to come along and steal all these guys' shit, and they do it. So, (laughs) I
1: don't... ah. That is bullshit, because AEW trademarking that could fuck with
0: these guys if they just go out there and try to do what they've always been doing. Well, Endory, again, you know, even, Peg, because you always got the legal mind, but even past trademarking that because let's face it i don't know that the maximo's ever actually legally trademarked sat because you did the whole trademark thing is a modern thing in wrestling too you used to just you knew what a guy's gimmick was and either you tried to rip it off however many gorgeous george gorgeous george grant gorgeous george jr whatever the fuck or you honored and respected it especially if you thought you might run across the other guy one day but to just do something like that that is so confusingly similar, and especially for a company that is, let's face it, AEW is an indie company with a big budget. They do they, they have a fan base, and they have a roster, and they have a mindset that is more indie wrestling oriented. And everybody on the indies, as the fella said just now, I can't remember what it was, Joel or Jose they know the SAT and and so this I mean either it's an elaborate work or elsewise, maybe either Luther or Serpentico or one of these guys is like fuck those Maximos I hate this is perfect opportunity to stick it to them you wouldn't just do that I can't imagine they're just I don't know I don't understand
1: that's that's
0: the other thing if they're working for what for AEW YouTube yeah, well, yeah, that's, I'd, you know, again, they're never on the actual real television program. I don't know why they would tr- try to trademark <laughs> any goddamn thing for the YouTube show anyway. But, I mean, and yeah, when the Express got hot, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express begat the rock and roll RPMs and the other Expresses and all that stuff. But there was never like a, a Twilight Express. And that's not even as close as SAP and SAT, Spanish announced Team, Spanish announced Project. That's just, oh my God. We're going we're gonna to stay up on this and bring people uh, developments if they develop, but apparently uh, Luther and Serpentico and Angelico should not go, is it all of New York have State? Have jobs? Are they, oh, what were we going to well, say? Well, uh, no, they shouldn't have jobs, but is it all of New York State they should stay away from, or do the Maximos reach Uh, Does their reach extend to, like, Buffalo and Syracuse or just stay out of the metropolitan Big Apple area? I'd say the five boroughs in Long Island. Stay out of them boroughs. You know, them boroughs came in handy when they used to be able to carry things up and down the hills. Oh, the little borough. Somebody else is not happy. Who now? Eddie Kingston. I'm hearing this also. You (laughs) teased me with this. That's right. You teased me with this. I have no idea what's going on with Eddie Kingston now, but you said Eddie Kingston's on Twitter saying some things.
1: I have no idea what's going on with Eddie Kingston either. Several people sent this to cornydriethru at gmail.com. I'm going to just read you the tweets as they came in last night, or I guess 23 hours ago as of now, so yesterday. More and more fuckboys are coming into AEW. <laughs> what? So many worried little egomaniacs just texted me laugh out loud laugh out loud that was after he uh talked about the fuck boys coming and then he after that one wrote I love fucking with the insecure <laughs> So I told you that there was something with Eddie Kingston cuz people were sending it to me but I have no idea what the fuck or who the fuck maybe I should say
0: in this case Well but now okay in in the Japanese wrestling culture, the young boys are the, the trainees and the guys wearing the, the short black shoes and the black tights that aren't allowed to be colorful or have gimmicks. And they show respect to the stars and they carry their bags and get their food and wash their backs and all that stuff. Those are the young boys. Now, what is, is that the, I guess the American AEW version of that is the fuck boys. Are they coming in and, literally performing services for for the uh, upper echelon of the crew or is there perhaps something i feel bad now the next person signed who
1: shows up on tv everyone's going to assume that's the fuck boy the fuck boy and we've had piss boys in wrestling Oh, piss boy! He said more and more
0: fuck boys. Are there other fuck boys? There, how many fuck boys, they've got? A, they're overstocked on fuck boys. They've got too much talent. They've also got too many fuck boys. How many fuck boys do you need for that locker room? You know, this may go back to fucka mania that we were talking about for pay per view here last week on the show. Well, I don't know if this ties in the fucka mania, to be honest. But I've, uh, obviously, stripping away some of the veneer of uh, of cloudiness in that tweet, it, I think it's obvious that Kingston thinks that there's a bunch of fucking prima donna pussies that are either wrapped up in their own publicity or nervous and insecure about their their spot in the world, and uh, and and they're probably aggravating him. But I, I don't know anything farther than that. I don't know about the uh, the whole...
1: So many worried little egomaniacs just texted me. Who said, oh my God, he thinks
0: I'm a fuckboy. I better... <laughs> hey, Eddie, I, I think we're cool, right? Uh, um, but you know what? That's uh, that's the way that the the younger generation has been brought up. They think it's it's important if people are knocking you on twitter or on social media or making you know veiled comments or whatever is he talking about me hey that's the way the kids are these days 1983 the end of 83
1: who would have been the guy in mid-south wrestling if there was twitter saying who are these guys that watts is bringing in? everyone's smaller than us they got some manager (laughs) i've never seen before who would have been the guy
0: oh god i'm trying to think of who was in the locker room at that you know i mean God damn it! I can't. That Nikolai Volkov? No, nicest guy in the world. Crusher Darso? No. Um. Goddamn Butch Reed? Of course not. Um. You know, probably some of the underneath guys. You know, at at various points, there's always a preliminary guy around that might think that he would get, be able to get moved up. A little quicker if somebody else didn't come in and take that spot or whatever. But
1: I, you if know, there was Twitter when you were a photographer, which wrestler in Memphis would have gotten into the most trouble?
0: Uh, Dundee or Lawler, just because of the the longevity of their time on top and the fact that they were at almost you know main events almost every show every week, week in week out for all the, all that time and all of the various. Adventures that they had probably gotten into along the way. Um, although the the fabulous ones they they weren't on top that long in Memphis, but they had a a storied history. They had I don't know if I should say well yeah I don't yeah I don't think anybody's gonna be harmed by this. They even had girls from Memphis. I know one girl specifically that would load themselves up in a car. If they could get a car, we're talking teenage girls and drove to Nashville to try to find them. They had people, they had girls, not only at the matches, but converging from other cities, trying to find them. And then the wrestling office would get a phone call every once in a while from an aggravated father or whatever. And, Randy West used to have some time impersonate a member of the Jarrett family to say, "Well, everything will be done and taken care of. You can be assured this will never happen again, sir." Yeah, my name, uh, my name's Henry. Bye. But um, it just, I mean, the you know, a lot of guys were always insecure in the wrestling business. Um, but nobody in those days was going to speak about it amongst small little groups in the locker room it didn't get out to the to the greater world like this does
1: well i guess that's the update on what What did you call it
0: wrestlers who were unhappy yeah unhappy wrestlers pissed off pachyderms you know what i wonder if there was just some way that you could i don't know win money by trying to predict who the next wrestler is it's going to have a mental meltdown or a fiasco or a problem with management or don't like their creative or get in a backstage fight or a feud. What about if only our friends at prize picks, Brian? If only our friends at Prize Picks, in addition to all the other great sports that they cover, would give us the, you know, the uh the up or down, the more or less is what I'm trying to say, on how many guys are gonna get in a fight backstage in the locker room at AEW at Wednesday Nights TV. Then you know maybe we could use our inside knowledge to predict these things but folks if you want to win some money up to 25 times your money on any entry by, by the way that's how much you can win then all you got to do is visit our friends at Prizepicks.com or download the prizepix app and there you will find that prizepix offers projections and what are projections we'll tell you what they are that means. They say that somebody is going to do something a certain number of times, and you try to determine whether they're right or wrong or whether it's going to be more or less, and then, boom, you make your entries, and then you sit back and you watch the money roll in. And that includes sports like the NFL, the NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, Euro basketball, cricket, disc golf, disc golf, disc golf, and locker room skirmishes in AEW. Well, we wish they'd add that. When maybe they will if, if enough people ask for it. Again, folks, the entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, safe, and fast. Withdrawals they're currently operational in over 30 states in Canada, almost the amount of ground that's ever under a winter storm warning. And regardless of what star or what team or what sport or endeavor that you want to get in on this, folks, you can win some money and have fun doing it. It's always fun when you win money. Some plates may go down in value. You never know. However, they're going to start you out and give you an advantage because first-time users at prizepicks.com or on the PrizePicks app can receive a 100% Instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code JCE. If you put in the promo code JCE and deposit $100, they'll give you another $100. If you put in $50, they will give you another $50. All with the promo code JCE because my name does carry some weight and cachet in the industry. And then all you got to do is pick and pick good and pick and grin. And win up to 25 times your money with our friends at prize picks. And I know, Brian, with your encyclopedic knowledge of baseball and the New York Mets, obviously you win as much money at this as Mandy Rose takes in on her OnlyFans every week. Well, I wouldn't say that much, but I could do fairly well. Well, you know, we can't all just become millionaires in in a few weeks like Mandy. Oh, Mandy! And I wish you would send me some money, because you got so much. Oh, Mandy. All right, anyway. What are we going to talk about next? I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. Monday Night Raw. And I got to be honest with you, Brian. I, I misled you here, because I said, okay, I read the recap online of the show and really we're i'm gonna watch i'm when i get time to skip through and see the bloodline business their interviews and whatever fucking happens that sounded like that was really the gist of it right but as i started watching or not watching but observing this program it was like with aew this week i don't almost know what to say they're doing a lot of this shit on purpose, but it was like a car wreck or giraffes fucking. I couldn't look away. I was morbidly drawn to a lot of this program and just... Uh, let's talk about it for a second, shall we? No. Well, I will, and you just sit back. I didn't watch Raw. You, and I even asked you, should I go back and watch Raw? Do you want to talk about it? You said, Nah. I know, I know, I misled you. I've already admitted to that. But I'm going to tell you what you missed. The whole thing, the reason why I wanted to watch it was just, again, because of the bloodline. I heard Heyman is on, Roman Reigns is on, and blah, blah, blah. We'll see how this is going to develop, right? And Heyman was in the back and opened up Raw, introduced himself and Roman Reigns, and Reigns cut a fucking heck of a promo on Kevin Owens and him going to get John Cena. And basically, he's laying down the premise, well, we're going to start interfering in Kevin Owens's business because he's interfering in ours, and we're also going to make sure that everybody knows we run the place, right? He comes off as a big deal. He's a great, serious promo with feeling, right? They immediately, <laughs> to make this point, they cut out of that to the Usos and Solo in the back of the arena, whatever arena they were in, beating up one of the underneath guys and a bunch of people standing around going, oh, stop, stop. And that it made it phony. It killed it for the, their star comes off as a star and makes a statement. And the very next thing you see is what we see on all these wrestling programs. How many people have gotten beaten up backstage on a wrestling show just in the last year? How many hundred? Well, I don't know a lot and it doesn't ever look good and it always looks phony and here they've and that's it's going to be a theme it's going to be a theme let's say so the first match was the street prophets against judgment day and the street prophets had i forget his first name but Tazawa i think he lost his first name a while back Tazawa was in their corner because Judgment Day, not a Balor and Priest have Rhea and Dominic. So that's the first match. Boy, howdy. I love the Judgment Day, but again, there's nobody interesting they've worked with yet to me. It's the same fucking, you know, six people. But Tazawa ends up throwing a drink in Dominic Mysterio's face and that distracts Finn Balor and one of the Street Profits rolled Balor up and beat him. So now they're beating the Judgment Day already. But we said they would never have. And, um, Oh God, what's the time? I started to say an interracial match an intergender match in WWE. And they just had one. And now I know why they don't need to have any more. Rhea Ripley comes down the aisle and confronts Tazawa and just hauls off and nails him with the best right-handed punch that I've seen from any guy in six months. Just clocked him. Bam. Look great, but then she challenged him to a fight. And here's the thing: and yes, he's six inches shorter than she is, and 50 pounds lighter than he is to begin with, or than she is. And I, I don't recall watching Tazawa wrestle, but I can't believe there's anybody smaller on the roster in the WWE. But they started; they had a match where Tazawa couldn't hit Rhea Ripley. He could, like, Hurricane Rana, her, could use momentum. You know what I'm saying, a throw or something like that, but he couldn't actually strike. But meanwhile, she could kick the shit out of him. And because of the size difference, it looked like she was beating up a Boy Scout. But it went so long, because they were trying to do the contrived things, where some way or another he would get a hope spot, but still not being able to... Striker or slammer, or whatever, so at one point she tried to give him one, and he jumped up on the turnbuckles and slipped off the fucking ropes and She tried to give him a pop-up power bomb at one point, and he jumped right over the top of her and fell face first over her on the other side. Can you see this? She's going for the pop-up power bomb as she got under his legs, He kept going up in the air, I guess he she threw him so far, he was so little he went right over her fucking head. Boom, crashed and burned. So then she tried to immediately snatch him back up for a power bomb, but now she's rushing. Both of their timing got off, and he just hung upside down because he couldn't sit all the way up. And then she held him and powered him up, and that's where the hurricane rana came. It, they were all going through all that trying to do a hurricane rana, and she rolled out to the floor. She was laying flat on the concrete floor, Brian. And guess what Tazawa did? He hit the, he ran to hit the ropes on the far side of the ring like he was going to run back across and dive on a person laying flat on the concrete. But he turns around and hits the ropes on the far side and Balor trips him. And then here come the street prophets and they do a dive on Balor and Priest and Tozawa's comeback was basically he just kept dodging her and hitting Dominic and then missed a splash off the top and Rhea Ripley hit her finish, one, two, three. We were 30 minutes into the show at this point. And then they go to the back and more people are laying there and there's agents and security and staff. More people have been attacked in the back by the bloodline. And as as much as we want to see what's going to go on, they're trying to make it less interesting because it's fucking phony. So then the next matchup was I exercised the Alpha Academy rule. Gable and Otis against Gallows and Anderson with AJ in the corner. Am I saying the same 12 names on this three-hour program that we see every week? Is there anyone that
1: would tune in to see that match? I can't imagine Gallows why. and Anderson versus Otis and Gable
0: the people who are fans of shush. So anyway, then here's the thing. It's, it's basically you're watching this three hours for the afterbirth on a couple of matches and a couple of promos. Get that match out of the way. The Usos and Sammy hit the ring and jump Gallows and Anderson and AJ and lay them out in like 30 seconds. Just hit them with a bunch of finishes. And here comes Adam Pearce and Hurricane Helm, Shane Helms, down there. And security are trying to get them to leave. They've got like six or eight indie guys dressed as security standing there with their mouths agape. And they're standing there pleading with the heels to leave while the heels, all three of them, instead of these 10 or 12 guys, do the promo in the ring and then the heels leave. (laughs) But as they're on the way out, AJ has recovered and jumped them in the entryway, and they did a pull-apart. But Gallows and Anderson, once they got laid out, they disappeared. We never saw them again. And they were laid out in the ring that the heels ended up doing the interview in. So somehow they just rolled out and were deposited somewhere or possibly you know, teleported to another dimension. We're an hour into the show they did a sit down with Alexa bliss and Bianca where the material was as putrid as the delivery. Bianca Belair has some oomph, but Alexa bliss again, she was talking about all the dark times that she had of whatever. And then she, they contrived some goddamn beef between these two and Bianca stands up to leave. And Alexa picks up a vase of flowers and breaks it over the back of her head. And down she goes, and the announcer says, well, we need some help. (laughs) God, she just, that brain damage, this woman, this giant glass vase, if it was really real, would have pulverized her skull. All right. So then, you know what the next 20 minutes of the show was? No. A ladder match between The Miz and Dexter Loomis. And they start out with a dozen ladders set up all around the ringside. And within seconds, one of them was already in play. And I thought, it's the Miz, it's a ladder match, and it's going to be way too fucking long. So I'm skipping it. And I was right on all counts. However, at some point, because I had the visual speed search, Dexter Loomis did a leg drop off the top of one of the ladders outside onto the announced desk and Miz Moved and the desk blew into a million pieces and that wasn't even the finish. They still just got up and kept going. So after about 20 minutes, that's where Bronson Reed came in and that's one of the big news stories of the week is Bronson Reed is another guy that's back as a result of Triple H's you know, talent rehabilitation program. And we talked about it on the drive-thru. We hadn't seen the clip at the time, but people were, some of the fans on the internet were complaining, how can he leave a top spot in New Japan? He was going to have a great run. The answer is for like five times the amount of money. But obviously, Triple H sees something in him. And that can't be a bad sign, even though he's, you know, being... Involved with the Miz, this we we talked about it when he was in NXT. He looks great, his shit looks good for a guy. He bam bam bigelow-ish in that he is limber and light on his feet, but his splash off the top looks good and firm, all that stuff. But basically, the problem was again the finish. I don't know who does these fucking finishes if if it's the writers and the Then the agents or producers just have to bear up under these parameters. But yes, we know that a ladder match is no DQ, lazy booking. But the finish was Loomis has dispatched the Miz. He's down. And Loomis is on top of the ladder and he's about to get the money they've hung. When all of a sudden Bronson Reed comes in the ring and just in front of the referee and everybody... Pulls Loomis off the ladder and beats him up, and came off the top rope with a great big splash on him. It looked like a million dollars, and then Bronson Reed sets lead. Bronson Reed sets the ladder up, and then pulls Miz back to his feet, helps him climb the ladder to get them all in full view. It's the wrong kind of heat. Yes, the returning heel should hit the ring and do something or make some kind of impact in hopefully a quick and decisive fashion to lead to the other heel winning. But it shouldn't be so long and egregiously in front of the referee to where everybody, it everybody's sitting there. That's not scribbling notes for their, you know, the report on their wrestling site or podcast, which that means if there's 10,000 people in a building, there's seven people that are not doing that. They're just sitting there going, Well, this is bullshit because the referee's looking right at it. And by, that's why there's an art to finishes where things can happen and things you can get in and get out while the referee is distracted or you make things plausible. You don't just come up with the idea of this, what I want to do and do it and ignore everything about the scene that's going on all around you. So I'm glad he's back. I think he's a good talent and I think they can get a lot out of him. I wish it hadn't been the wrong kind of heat and a rotten finish that could have been polished up to where it didn't have to be so hokey at the end where the Miz is so unconscious that he's even got to fucking help push him up the ladder. And a lot of people uh, to take up for that finish will say, well, that's the Miz's gimmick. He's supposed to be so ineffectual and whatever. Well, then figure out what something to do with the referee. Don't let him sit there and watch the whole goddamn thing. Anyway, that's what I thought about that, the Bronson Reed return. But I think he'll be better off than he would have been in New Japan, even if he doesn't, if his matches aren't as many stars. And speaking of stars, AJ Styles, who has been, had the shit kicked out of him earlier. I guess that's why he got to make the little comeback. Because they said, well, we can't fucking leave him laying. He's got to wrestle later on. So he got one, one fucking dash in the pull apart. But AJ Styles has a single match with Sami Zayn. And I'm thinking, oh, both those guys are good. And I've got to see, you know, what the fuck goes on. And I guess it came to me a few minutes in that, again, on AEW television, these same two guys, this would be a great fucking match and the people would love it. But even though they started fast, it was back and forth. There was nothing wrong with the work. The people didn't really seem to care about the match because they just see this endless parade of non-advertised cold matches over and over on Raw. Or, you know, between the same people that wrestle each other every week in some, you know, a combination or another. But also this one, AJ allegedly is supposed to be the babyface. Because Sammy's part of the bloodline and that's the top heel group, but the people love Sammy and they were rooting for the heel over the babyface and wanting to see him win to the point where when he hit his brain buster, and, and again a great one. Even El Generico had a good brain buster as one of his best things. He got a two count. The fans were upset when the babyface kicked out and then a j gets a comeback, and they don't really want to boo him, but he doesn't get a response much on the comeback because they don't want to cheer him beating up the heel and then solo appears at ringside, and a j gets on him and then goes back to Sammy and chucks Sammy in the ring, and he's going to go in after him, and Solo comes from behind, and they said the Samoan spike it was very quick, it wasn't. Particularly visual or impressive, but he hit him with something in the neck, and then Sammy hit his finish. Boom, one, two, three. Two hours into the show, Brian, at this point. And then here came Seth freaking Franklin Rollins in Liberace's pajamas. And Seth is a babyface again, and they were in Iowa, and that's his home state. And he's out there doing a promo telling Roman Reigns that Mondays don't belong to you, they belong to me, Monday Night Rollins, when Theory's music interrupted. And he actually has a ton of heat these days. The people seem to really be offended by his presence. And he can talk, and we've mentioned I've got none of us have any idea what Seth Rollins' gimmick really is, but you know, the dancing and the prancing and the laughing. But then I I figured out what was wrong with this. If this was AEW again, or any other wrestling program since the dawn of time, these guys could probably have a fairly nice argument with each other, because they're both fairly glib these days. Seth Rollins came out of his shell. Theory's got some attitude. But... All we get is the WWE thing, and you'll know what I'm talking about, where they just stand there in the middle of the ring and trade scripted comments and laugh and make faces at the witticism of the other. Oh, that's a good one there. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. It's the because the writers write these scenes rather than two grown adult men having an argument or a disagreement or just busting each other's balls, all of which happens at one point or another in the world of sports. They're doing a scene where they make witty remarks and they react with a chuckle or of, of an expression to the witty remark that was made and then come back and play on that. They're playing parts and they're reading lines and nobody's mad and you don't care. And then after about five minutes of this, Seth, all of of a sudden, he started yelling. So now you know he's serious, because now he's yelling. And he made the challenge for a match right now. Rollins in theory. And suddenly, the Usos show up at ringside. And Seth says, well, we've got company. We'll deal with this later. So the guy he's been talking to and just challenged for the past five minutes, because the Samoans show up in ringside. Well, okay, we'll deal with this later. Well, I, I... And the Usos climb in, and of course, Theory, being a heel, bails on Seth, and the Usos jump Seth, and the heat did not look real great. Just a, you know, a lot of weak kicks is what they're doing all of them these days. And then music plays, and here comes Kevin Owens. And he attacks the Usos, and Seth gets back up and they nail the Usos to the floor, and okay, there's some excitement. By the time the Usos have backed up and stood up from taking their bumps out, both Rollins and Owens have microphones in their hands. They This show is three hours fucking long. Instead of giving these matches 25 minutes sometimes, take an extra 30 seconds to... Stalk around the ring, get pissed off, and yell and scream for the ring announcer to give you a microphone. It's just so pre planned. Now they challenge the Usos for a tag team match that will happen apparently later on in the program. Okay, great. So now Owens and Rollins, that have had a rivalry in a program earlier this year and several matches, they're going to team up against the Usos. So we got a story to keep us to the end of the show. Oh yeah, that'll do the trick. Well, at least they're trying. And then I got to, I got to admit it. It was getting late and getting long. Bailey wrestled Becky Lynch in a single match. And I used to like Bailey before she got the two job girls with her. And Becky Lynch is a star. But at this point (laughs) I wrote, I can't wait for this show to be over and I'm getting to the bloodline. And then the next thing I see is Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins in the back of the arena in front of some folded-up chairs getting ready for the match. Now, what would you think they'd be doing in a situation like this, Brian? In a situation to get ready for the match or in
1: a situation in the back with a couple of chairs?
0: Well, a, no, I'm just saying they're standing in front of several folded-up chairs. They're in the back of the arena. They're taping wrists. They're get, But this is their time where they're going to get ready. They're going to team up after this rivalry and fight these two guys that just jumped them. And you would think that the interview from one or both part would be, look, I know we've had tons of issues with each other. I actually hate your fucking guts. I can't stand you. But tonight, if we don't work together, these guys are going to fuck us up. So we've got to make this count. But I promise you, I got eyes in the back of my head. And if you try to stab me in the back when the odds are against me or the chips are down or whatever, I will live to see you pay for it. Something like that, right? Yeah. No. They were laughing and joking about the feud they had earlier in the year and making jokes about, well, I think you hit me with the chair, didn't you, or whatever the fuck. And it was Abbott and Costello. They were laughing at each other and reacting about the smart aleck or little, cute little comments they were making about what they were supposed to be serious about earlier in the year was hating each other so the the whole idea of teaming two guys that have been in a big personal issue up is that you want to see these two guys fight the other two guys but you also want to see if somebody's going to stab the other guy in the back or if there's going to be some issue Well, now they were just laughing and joking. It was just jokes about the whole thing. So I wrote, if they don't care, I don't care. So I'll save some more time. I'll skip the fucking match and get to the finish. And that's what I did. Because again, if they don't care, I don't care. (laughs) But listen to this finish, because this, God damn it. I'm telling you. all they're they're not even making an effort anymore. It's just like a meaningless, just a musical variety show where they just bring acts out on the stage. It's not one cohesive match, it's a series of spots and stunts. So at the finish, Rollins comes off the top rope, hits both the Usos with a double cross body, and goes down, and Jay rolls to the floor, and Rollins follows him, right? Jay has just been hit with a, a double cross body, him and his brother, which they fell down and rolled out on the floor. He's on his feet. Jay hits Seth Rollins, coming off the stairs to jump on him with a super kick, and Rollins goes down. And then Jay just sits down by the announcer's desk and stays there. He's not selling anything. In the ring, Owens hits a splash off the top rope on Jimmy Uso. Looked great. Cover, one, two, kick out. Jay didn't try to save. Jay is sitting at the announce desk at ringside. Owens then goes up the top and goes for a senton off the top. Jimmy raises his knees. Owens sells. Jay is still sitting by the desk. I made it a point to keep my eye on one of these guys when he does his disappearing act. After Owens got the raised knees on the centon, they did three replays of the three previous moves, and there's still been no sign of Jay or Seth. Now, Seth is still selling a super kick. Was the super kick with a loaded boot? Meanwhile, again, Jay is still down at ringside, not coming into the match. So Owens and Jimmy sell Forever while the referee tells both of them something and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and who's waiting on what. And finally it comes to us in the form of solo climbing over the barricade. Apparently they were supposed to sell down until he got there. And they're telling the referee on the IFB, tell him, to stay down. Solo's in fucking segment section D or whatever the fuck. So finally solo climbs over the barricade And at this point, Jay and Seth have both been down at ringside for over two minutes, Seth selling a superkick and Jay selling, sitting down next to the desk after he superkicked. So suddenly, here comes Gallows and Anderson, and they jump solo at ringside. Remember, they got the shit kicked out of them a while back. Well, they waited till now to get even. And it's two babyfaces on one heel at ringside now Jey Uso suddenly dives back into the ring runs across the ring and dives over the top rope onto all three of them on the floor suddenly Seth is back up fresh as a daisy and dives straight he does the deal where he does the dive straight over the top but he flips and like cannonballs him he went straight over the top of Solo and Jey Uso straight over the top of them and roll perfectly rolled off their backs to the floor. And they both looked around and like shit. And they fell anyway. And like they were shot. And then he posted solo and curb stomped Jay. And now they "Where's Jimmy and Owens. Oh, they're still fighting in the ring. Well, guess who came from ringside? Austin theory. Comes from the crowd side of the rail and whacks Seth Rollins over the back of the head with the U.S. belt. And now he's down and Jimmy and, Ow- and and Owens are still fighting in the ring, doing spots back and forth. So they're keeping the match going after we've had a tag team attack a guy that was trying to interfere in the match. And then another guy come out behind the referee's back and whack the guy over the head with the bell and all this stuff, and now they're doing spots in the ring, Owens and Jimmy. After all this has settled down, and finally Owens hits a pop-up powerbomb. One, two, three. After all that, we got a clean finish. I'm what the, so... At this point, remember, I was keeping track of everybody. Now Rollins has been down again from getting whacked with that U.S. belt, right? Owens gets the win. They play his music. He goes up to the turnbuckle. He gets the beauty shot with the camera. People are cheering him. What would you do if you just won a tag team match? Lift my hands that, that, in the air and celebrate? I don't know. No, you'd look around to see if your partner realizes that y'all just won. He never once looked around. He He shouldn't have seen what happened. To Rollins because that was a sneak attack by the heel but he gets up he raises his hands he goes to the buckle he's accepting the cheers never once has he bothered to look over. they even get a camera shot from Rollins's point of view he's laying on the floor and Owens is in the ring not even goddamn where'd the fuck Seth go and then finally he fucking oh and then as he's standing in the ring here comes Sammy Zayn. He hits the ring. They have a face off. Owen starts taking his wrist tape off. Sammy gets out of the ring and goes and helps the Usos up and they walk off. So it just, it, people are appearing and disappearing and staying And this beat. Everything that Jay Uso super kicks a guy. And in plain view of however many thousand people were in that building just sat down by the announce desk and took two minutes out of the match. Like he was in a penalty box with shit going on that. If he was trying to win, he would have been a part of trying to keep the guy from beating his brother. Eh, there you go. That was raw. There you go. I'm glad I didn't watch. I couldn't look away from some of this. I really couldn't because it's, and it's not, it's not that hard to figure finishes if you have guys that can execute them this seemed to be executed about like it was called except maybe for solo being a little late it took a left turn at Albuquerque but they cross all the angles up and you can't remember and or they do shit in front of the referee or they just again the that's becoming my new version of Vince McMahon's belt or strap or whatever that he hates is guys just in full view of the arena, just taking time out of the match because it's not time for them to be involved. I think that would probably make me turn to violence quicker than anything in modern wrestling. If I was there to see it in person, Brian, sometimes after these shows, I just need to, to talk about these things and kind of vent and air my grievances and, and bounce things off of you, and hopefully you'll calm me down. That's what I need to do after I see some of these programs. Well, I think you could use some help beyond talking to me. So, in other words, you don't want to talk to me anymore. Well, I got somebody else I could talk to. I, as a matter of fact, there's all kinds of people that I can talk to because we know our friends at help. And BetterHelp, obviously, is a fine sponsor of not only this episode of the program, but many of them throughout the year. They've been a sponsor for quite some time, and they're friendly, and they like to talk to me. Only twice out of ten times when I call them up and say I need help do they hang up on me and dial tone me. But, folks, if you need somebody to talk to, especially during the holiday season, especially if you're not around family or this Winter storm has canceled your plans, or whatever, and you feel like you don't have anybody to talk to to bounce things off of, learn some coping skills, get some fresh ideas on the problems and emotions that are bothering you. You can talk to the people at BetterHelp. They've connected over three million people with licensed therapists. Remember when when we started, it was only a million. Now, just a couple of years ago, when we started talking about BetterHelp. We have sent them 2 million people, Brian. It's convenient. It's it's accessible anywhere. It's 100% online. They're the world's largest therapy service, and that means they're professionally licensed and vetted therapists. They're available, as we said, 100% online, and based on your schedule, it's affordable. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right person because you fill out a brief questionnaire you get matched with a therapist. If things don't click, you can switch to a new one anytime. So, if you folks, especially at the holiday season, would like to take a new look at things that may be troubling you, then contact the folks at BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp dot com slash J-C-E because if you go to betterhelp.com slash J-C-E, you'll save 10% off your first month's services. That's why don't forget to slash J-C-E at BetterHelp.com. 10% off your first month's services. Whether you have watched a long, boring, redundant, and nonsensical wrestling program or you just need somebody to talk to about a personal issue, BetterHelp can help you. Do you think, Brian, do you think that they're going to get a rash of people calling up asking to talk about the trauma they suffered by watching Monday night raw the previous week.
1: I think less and less people will be making
0: a call about that every week. You might be right. All righty. Well, before we go further with the plan nine from outer space review, of uh, what's going on in wrestling news and the wrestling news along with the rest of the Arcadian Vanguard uh, network this week, Brian is the, is the wind whistling at the door? The wind is whistling and you can hear what the wind is saying every morning with The Wrestling News.
1: Wherever you find your favorite podcast or download it directly or stream it directly at TheWrestlingNews.com every single morning, a free wrestling newscast giving you all the news from around the world of wrestling without opinion, without conjecture, without star ratings, just the news. Check it out today. Once again, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. TheWrestlingNews.com, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Want to make mention, this week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, Mike Sempervivi is the guest, so two of the guys behind the scenes at The Wrestling News. Hear them together, it's a really fun show. We have received a lot of positive feedback about it. SUAWpod.com, or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, the- Mothership! Eh, that was kind of a weak one. Uh, Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
0: The Mothership. Oh boy, all right, here's your chance, you do it every week now, to say I told you so. You have again predicted the future. It's almost like you're you're precognizant or recognizant or whatever the case may be. And you called it again. We're going to get into it in a second, but because they started off the program with it. But again, I, I think you've got Jericho's house bugged. Either that or you're eavesdropping on his Have you got a wire on his phone to Tony Khan? I know he's got a bat phone. That's what Tony Khan's red phone on his desk is. Hotline to Jericho. This week, they were at the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum in beautiful downtown San Antonio, Texas. And boy, that building looks a lot better on TV than it does when you're sitting in it. But uh, we started out with a recap of MJF and Ricky Starks last week and the, the match and the incident, the ball kicking. And here comes Starks and did you see this crowd going crazy for him? They loved him. He came out, he dressed like he was somebody. I'm not saying I'd look good in that outfit, but it looked good on him. But he he looked like a star. He looked like a professional something or other. The crowd was loving him. And he did a great promo. He owned his loss last week without making excuses, even though he was cheated. And made sure to make mention of that, too. But he looked forward to, and looked ahead to getting another chance because he's not going to roll over and play dead. There's going to be a next time. He vowed it with MJF for the title. He had emotion. He had delivery. He's a feisty babyface. It's not going to back down. And his quote was, if i got to work my way back to the top to a title shot, then line him up. And then here comes Judas, and I'm not talking about the music. Right. I was like, <laughs> "God damn it!" Boom, 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 and here they come—the Jericho appreciators: Jericho, Sammy Garcia, Sammy Garcia, Sammy Guevara. And I, at first, I wrote what's his name because wearing sunglasses, I thought it was the 2.0 number two, but it was Daniel Garcia. But they come down and stay in the aisle way, so they don't crowd Starks in the ring, but Jericho's doing the talking. And, of course, he puts Starks over. You're a million-dollar talent. You'll be champion someday, but you're not quite ready. You need some teaching, some advice. You need Chris Jericho. So basically the same pitch he gives to Tony Khan about everything. The fans, while Jericho is talking, start organically chanting sammy sucks sammy sucks and jericho said hey if you're saying sammy sucks that's like you're saying i suck and i don't so it brings it back to him because they're chanting for the fucking heel they don't like next to him or chanting against the heel anyway obviously he offered starks the opportunity to join the Jericho appreciators and Starks fired back up at him and it was great. He said Jericho used to come out built like an air fryer, but now he's dropped weight. He looks good. (laughs) He's dressed like a single dad on his fifth divorce. Again, I'm thinking they may be making a mistake trying to send MJF to Danielson. all, All of a sudden MJF and Starks have some more promos in them. But anyway, Starks turned down the offer to join the boy band. As he said, he called Jericho a clout vampire. <laughs> and the J and JAS stands for jobbers, and he called the Stooges jazz holes. You're not going to suck the life out of me, but if you want something to suck, this was again... Whoa, whoa, hold on. He said, if you want something to suck, and then he went like he was going to take off his pants. Yeah, yeah. And I've and, <laughs> Jericho was blown out verbally in this in this thing because you knew what Jericho's, it's the same thing he's been doing for three years. Oh, you should join the group, and he gets turned down, he gets mad, whatever. It was a long promo, but Starks was on fire, and it's better than normal AEW television. So I was with it up till this point. And then here we go. All of a sudden, from behind, to jump Starks in the ring was Jake Hager and that stupid purple hat. And once he hits him, then the others come in and jump him. And at that point, I had the thought, Brian, again, has anybody ever worked for a promotion longer and done less while they were there than Jake Hager in AEW? Dr. Luther in AEW. Well, you got me there. All righty then, so they beat the shit out of Starks, and Jericho's got the bat, and the three heels are holding Starks, and Jericho's about to hit him with the bat, and music! Here comes action and ready. Now we see what's going to happen, because Jericho cannot in any way be made to look bad by the fact that this poor kid... Ain't ready for this, so they're going to give the impression. Now, remember, Ricky Starks, who just challenged for the world title last week, was basically just jumped with no fucking. He didn't get any fight because the guy hit him from behind, the others were on him. He just got tackled and pancaked. But here comes Action Andretti, ducks Jericho's bat, springs off, hits him with a flying elbow while the other three heels are standing there watching. Then Hager runs at him, <laughs> and Action Andretti ducks him, and Hager goes over the top rope. Then Sammy Runny clotheslines Sammy, and now Starks gets the shit-canned Garcia out of the ring. So now they are using Starks to get not only Jericho, but Action Andretti over as well. He's gone in one week from world title contender to best friend of Action Andretti. And then Jericho was laying motionless in the ring so that I think he called an audible and Andretti ran up and hit a fucking springboard moonsault on Jericho while Starks was selling his ribs. So, again, Action Andretti saved Ricky Starks's ass by routing all by himself a former WWE champion, an MMA fighter, and two pushed heels armed with a baseball bat. And Starks, instead of going from a world title match that he was cheated out of and lost, into a program with somebody of some repute to win in the end and get back over, is going to go from loss to loss so that Action Andretti can get some spotlight. Did I summarize that kind of the way you were thinking about it, Brian, or did you see a nuance that I missed? Well, again,
1: I wasn't surprised by Jericho latching on to Ricky Starks, but I agree with what you're saying about the timing being a big issue here. It's a tough thing. If they're determined to go MJF Brian Danielson, and it seems that they are, obviously I could see why they did that, but then why do everything with MJF and Starks for a two-week thing? If it's going to lead to this, and like you said, Not even to judge Action Andretti we've barely seen him. He does need a big brother or a best friend, someone to help him. I don't know if Ricky Starks was that guy
0: right now. I think he's he's become the big brother. Starks is now the best friend. That's not the role he should be playing right now. The fans are reacting to him. Again, the saddest
1: thing about AEW is, for all the people that killed WWE for not pushing wrestlers that the fans organically reacted to, whether it's FTR... Whether it's Ricky Starks, there's been various examples where they don't get the push that the fans seem to want them to have. We'll see what happens with Starks. Wardlow got pushed out the door. Starks is having an interesting several weeks now where the fans are really reacting to him. He's clearly letting loose on his promos and he's getting good reactions to everything. How will they mess this up?
0: Usually the answer is as simple as Jericho, but we'll see because there's a lot of moving parts here. Well, up next was number two hundred and forty-seven of the best of seven series <laughs> between the Buckaroos and Twinkle Toes and the Bermuda Triangle. This was the special Hammers Legal No Disqualification Lazy Booking Stipulation. Um I mean, what can I say? And a cutlet? Was it ringside in a green elf costume? They don't make any effort to even try to tell people they're in any way serious about this shit. And again, same thing, at the bell, sloppy, fake-looking six-way fight, choreographed six-way synchronized spot, and a triple dive. So that's enough of that. Um, How ridiculous is it? And it the only reason for it is the self-indulgency of the EVPs and their inflated sense of their own self-importance that you put two teams that only know how to have one kind of match against each other. Seven weeks in a fucking row. Save the plane fare. show the same tape seven times. Nobody'd notice. So again, on visual speed search, they had furniture, they had garbage cans. They had the comedy stooges and the funny outfits, a Christmas tree in the ring. A couple of circus stunts off the ropes through the tables. A barbed wire baseball bat. And, I mean, this may have been the most offensive one yet, just because of all that. And then, after 15 minutes of that, an afterbirth where the heel babyfaces beat up the babyface heels and got juice on them.
1: Ah, Did I miss anything? No, it was an all right match. I got really high before it started, so I enjoyed it a little bit. I agree about Cutler. That was just ridiculous. And even if you were really high and trying to lose yourself in this match, that took it down a notch or two. But it was all right for what it was. It was, you know, you know who it was and you know what they do. Yeah. So I figured, let me get high and try to enjoy it.
0: Well, you got high and I was feeling mighty low when it was over with. But MJF popped up after that. An interview taped last week after the match. And the deal, he was hot at Danielson for interfering. He was looking for him, yelling at him. It was great, obviously. And that's why I noted, I hope that the previous Buckaroos exhibition didn't run everybody off before they saw it so they could see this. But then, my God, if they had only given this effort to, I don't know, anybody in the past three years, how many times have we seen, my God, they've debuted Jay Lethal, or they debuted this guy, or they debuted that guy. You never hear them talk. They never win. They never do anything. They just show up and do a job. And Tony was in the back with Action Andretti, the new biggest star in wrestling. He's two inches shorter than Tony, and Tony's got to be two inches shorter than me. So I don't know what the fuck. But the promo, (sighs) Action tried hard on this promo. He did, and and he's got potential because obviously I can't imagine that he's ever done any t v promos for us. He'd never been on fucking television, but he memorized his material and he tried to say it with some conviction, but he's just green at this, he's not comfortable, plus he had to memorize the shit. Nobody speaks like this, it needed more emotion. He rushed it, and it was he was speaking material that when he wrote it down to memorize it, it sounds great, but he, he's not a person that speaks like that. And, but he's going to be a better promo before he gets six inches taller. I can guarantee you that. But he got longer to speak here than anybody ever. And the, remember the running joke was as soon as the guy gets the question pitched to him, he says, well, and then somebody fucking hits him with a ball bat. This was two minutes. And he laid it down, right? And then here comes 2.0 in. And he stands them off in this stagey way where he's got his fists clenched. And they tell him he's on a hot streak. Some might even say, you're on fire. And then Andretti looks puzzled at that remark and then immediately spins 180 degrees around to look behind him, conveniently, where Jericho hits him in the face with a fireball. And then within, I don't know what, less than 10 seconds, he's laying on the floor, his face has been set on fire, and they cut away. Good God. Hey, I'm, you know, same when the Hindenburg, soon as half of it crashed, they said, well, fuck, we've seen the best part. We'll be right back. So uh, They're going to do action and ready just to piss us off, right? Just to say, so, well, they say we never push anyone. Properly, or give them any time to talk. us So they're going to do everything we've been saying with action and ready. He rubbed his face into the ground. They're copying steamboat and flare. Oh yeah, that, a, after, wrong with that? That's right. After he, well, after he burned him with the fireball, then he rubbed his face on a concrete like the flare steamboat thing. How many times are they going to sandpaper this kid's face? Is he going to have scars and things when he shows up next week to save the day again? Or are they going to remember that?
1: I was hoping we were past Jericho throwing fire, but... He's a
0: wizard. At least he didn't call himself a wizard. But he is a wizard. No, he's not. He's he's figured out a way to cast a spell over Tony Khan. Anyway, so then in the ring was Renee Moxley Good, and she brought out Brian Danielson. And the question proposed to mr danielson was after all the things that have happened with william regal where does this leave the bbc and danielson said he doesn't expect the rest of the guys in the bbc to forgive regal but then he he switched and he started putting san antonio over it's almost like the renee asked him a question he skipped his happy talk he had to go back and get it but he trained there for real at his first match there he went Shawn michaels wrestling school well rudy gonzalez's wrestling school Shawn michaels was financing and he got big pops with that and when he plugged Shawn michaels the people started chanting hbk yeah that's what you want on your show yeah well of course um maybe they'll get him one of these days then he said that regal made him the wrestler and the person he is today and if you notice now Regal had molten lava level heat when he first came out with MJF after the turn. Then with what they did, it it kind of, or not when he first came out after the turn, but not with MJF that first week when Moxley told him to just leave and don't come back. And he came back for two more curtain calls, but he went from having molten heat to kind of having the heat taken off of him to now. He didn't really get booed, but you can tell, and this may have been the idea, the fans there don't like him as much as they used to, because they know he left them. So... Even Danielson putting him over like Mother Teresa and saying he loved having him in AEW, the people were not like, oh, we want Regal, which is good. You don't want him chanting some, for somebody that's not going to come back.
1: Well, with everyone knowing everything, he probably shouldn't even be talking about him anymore at this point. He well, re- He
0: referenced is... him by name nonstop in this promo. That's what I... That's... <laughs> They had him come out and do the one farewell where Moxley got to tell him off. Then they had him come out and do the second farewell where MJF got to attack him from behind. Then they had him come back out and do the pre-tape that was putting a time capsule with Shivani in case anything happened to him. And now they're doing a goddamn of uh, what's the word I'm searching for? A a um, um, the speech they give at the funerals, a eulogy for what he meant to. Uh, it, it he's gotten more TV time to leave than anybody else gets to debut. So finally, then Danielson does same thing. He starts firing up and, and, you know, really getting serious with it and says, MJF is going to learn there's consequences to his actions. And he told MJF come out here right now. And it was really a good promo. It and it'd been even better if Regal hadn't, bailed and went back to the WWE and was going to come back and do something. But Danielson's a great talker in his own fashion. He sounds like himself. He's very natural. But the music that plays is not MJF's. It's the other page with Stokely. And I wish I'd like to see Stokely with a top guy that I gave a shit about. Because he can talk and he's kind of different. The other page starts talking and promo and Danielson. Danielson fired back. And but Stokely's thing, he just called called fucking Danielson, you raggedy bitch. That just <laughs> cracked me up. You raggedy bitch. But this went back and forth too long with Paige before Danielson said, How about right here, right now? Where have we heard that before lately? And the fans wanted it. But the other page got a little heat by weaseling out of it because he wasn't dressed. Said, "How about next week?" Okay, and they left. So we're we're seeing a lot of similar shit going on with these programs, and it, it kind of all blurs together. But it hasn't stunk so far, except for the EVPs. We're getting there. Moxley was in a garage somewhere, wondering when him and Adam Page, old hangnail. Are gonna settle shit. Have we figured out is Moxley going to turn? Who between Hangnail Page and John Moxley? Whose side are we supposed to be on? Or does anybody care about either one of them and they just they've just been put together? I don't know. Well, anyway, Samoa Joe in a suit with the belt sitting in front of the Christmas tree. This is Samoa Joe. He's articulate. He's well-spoken. He's educated. He was punched as pleased with himself. He wasn't out there doing the screaming, drooling, mad, vicious island Samoan. He's the goddamn intelligent, badass, dressed up, looks like somebody fucking Samoan that can verbally take you apart and then lose his shit and do it physically. And I like this Joe. And he's got great delivery. And he's talking about Wardlow on uh, December 28th next week's show. But this is how you feature Samoa Joe. And at least they're doing something. He's winning some of these matches. He's winning all of his matches now. And he's getting some promos. And he's different than the... The Samoan, the street Samoans like the Bloodline, or the fish-eating Samoans like Afa and Sika from generations ago. That's why the, the funniest thing he ever said to me, and he wasn't even trying to be funny, was when Russo had the dagum. Remember this in TNA, he not only had Joe put a tribal tattoo, a fake one, on his face, but he had one of the pay-per-views of Samoan fire dancers and drummers and, and all this stuff and barefoot and the whole thing coming out and doing a dance for Joe's entrance. And Joe's like, I'm I'm from California. I got a college education. What does he think? I'm a goddamn, you know, tree climber from the Island, but have was shit stain for you. He, you know, nevertheless, good promo. What'd you think? Yeah. Well, that's uh, that says it all. So we're moving along, aren't we? I just don't think it helps. I don't know. It helps what? Go ahead, say
1: it. Everything with the TV title since Wardlow got it has been a disaster, and I don't oh, think yeah. I don't think Joe means as much as he should. You said that this is Joe. This promo right here. Have we seen this before? This is the first time we're really getting this on the show on this program. And yes. Joe means less than he has at any point since he came in. So I don't know. We'll see what they do, but I wasn't too excited about this. Well, but now
0: here's the problem. Who's he going to work with? Other than Wardwell? who's he working with? I don't know. You can have great matches, and you can do great interviews, but if the title belt that you hold means nothing, because there's three TV titles, or four TV titles, and the booking is the shits, I didn't say it was, you know, but at least we're getting to hear him talk. All right, Hook. Hook is back and Hook had a single match with a guy named Exodus prime. I thought he was one of the transformers. No, that's a different, that's a different part. It did sound like a transformer though. Exodus prime. Well, it, it is his last name prime and his first name His mother and father saw him and said, well, we got to name him after grandpa Exodus or does that mean something or what? Um, He's wrestling a man whose first name is Hook. Well, you got, I guess you, yeah, you got a point there. So again, starts great, ends in the shitter. I like Hook. He's got a different style. He used the amateur wrestling, judo style mix. He dominated this guy. He looked great. He doesn't fuck shit up. His throws are different. The people like him. He's got the charisma, whatever. That's great. Nice little three or four minute win, whatever it was. Immediately from the parking lot on the screen, there's Stokely and Big Bill and Lee Moriarty, fake kicking jungle boy, and Big Bill picks him up and choke slams him into a dumpster. So, and after the hook sees that and just walks up the ramp with his head down, and Moxley music starts playing because he's coming from the other side of the arena. Hook gets a win, looks good in the ring, people cheer him, and everything's fine, and then they go k- immediately to one of the faker-looking things that they're going to do in this show, and it's stupid, and it's another backstage att- How many backstage attacks have we seen this week just on two programs we've just been talking about? And and, he just, and then Hook just walks up the ramp with his head down, like, well, yeah, my new partner just got the shit kicked out of him. So every time they do something right, they can't get out of it then. They've got to carry it on and do something to make you forget that you were actually interested in what they just did. I mean, was that, it, it was like night and day. They played that Moxley
1: music so fast, were they just desperate to get it on for the nine o'clock hour? Yes.
0: That's what they wanted to say. They wanted somebody that the people halfway fucking recognize, you know, in the ring at that point. But yeah, boom. And again, now it's Moxley with Claudio because they're in the BBC together against Darius Martin with his brother Dante. Who the fuck are we supposed to cheer for? And why the, and Moxley earlier had been saying, well, yeah, I hear this kid, you know, he, he hurt his knee and then he gets a car wreck. Maybe he's injury prone. Is it going to be my fault if I hurt him? Why does Moxley want to hurt the nice young kid that's trying to make his way in wrestling, that has, doesn't do anything to offend anyone or stab anybody in the back? Why does Moxley, the baby face, want to take this nice kid out past the rail into the arena and suplex him on the concrete floor without any provocation. The idea of having a baby face that hurts people and beats people up and drinks their bones and eats their blood is that you will get to see a guy like that that doesn't give a shit kick the shit out of the heels that have been screwing everybody around. Not hospitalize and paralyze and sanitize and homogenize and hurt and end the career of a young nice-looking, baby-faced kid that likes to do flying moves and impress the young fans. That's what doesn't make sense. It's a match, not a blood feud. So why does, just because Moxley's being Moxley, what motivation mentally does he have to take this kid out in the arena and start suplexing him around on the concrete? It's mark bullshit for indie wrestling. That's where Moxley's head is at. And they don't teach these kids the Martins any better. It's going to be too late. They're going to learn bad habits. And this went like seven or eight minutes until Moxley rolled through on a cross body. He stomped him in the face 15 times. About 13 of them looked fake as shit. He then hit eight of those goofy elbows on the kid, then got the rear naked choke, and then switched into the double arm, Whatever the fuck it is, with a suplex or power bomb or brainbuster, or however he decides to put people down, one, two, three, so what my God, he wants to give the kid a good, long match to make him look like something, and then he wants to beat him flatter than you ever have beaten anybody before when you stomp somebody in the face fifteen times, hit him with eight. Unanswered elbows, choke them for a little while, and then pick him up and dump him on their head. You got beat that motherfucker as flat as as a motherfucker can get beat. But you gave him a great match. Uh, does this make any sense to you, Brian? No, but Moxley likes a certain kind of match, as we know, and he likes to do certain things.
1: Those stomps always look bad. The elbows always look bad. He does them in every match. Who's the babyface here? I don't know. Fans aren't booing Claudio. They're not booing Moxley right now. They're not booing Top Flight. They like them. I don't know what any
0: of this... I don't know how good an idea... It just just comes down to an exhibition of moves, which is meaningless. Yeah. All right, next up, the video on Powerhouse Hobbs. They've got video of him working out, lifting weights, and he's doing the voiceover. Brian, I know the phrase is, where have you been all my life? But it took him three years to do this. Just two minutes, two minutes of television time. But while he's looking big and bad with his muscles and his mean faces, the voiceover is, hey, my first memory, when I was three years old, was seeing my uncle overdose on the floor. Have you ever seen a man choke on his own blood? I was beaten and robbed as a child and abused. I've been stabbed and shot. Monsters did that. Monsters would do that to a a young kid, but they created a monster themselves. And it's time that I spill everybody else's blood. What the It took them three years. Guy's been sitting there. This is fucking great. From day one. That's what he should. And I remembered from this that when they made him a baby face, when they first introduced him in the first year the show was on the air, did did they not say that his brother was killed or shot, one or the other in a drive by shooting? Yeah, I think it was and, on commentary early on when he first. Started. Yeah. Gee, that you've got either a giant baby face. Somebody who's pulled himself up and made something out of his life coming from a disadvantaged upbringing and the streets and crime. Or you've got an origin story for a supervillain like they did here. Yeah, you do this to a kid, that makes you a monster. But you yourself, you made me a monster. They're your heel origin story. But they just figured out, well, we ought to do that. My fucking God. Anyway. On a serious wrestling show in Mid-South or Mid-Atlantic or any wrestling show before modern times, this would, two or three weeks of this, you smash this fucking guy over convincingly over uh, several weeks of stooges, and you that's all you need. But I'm afraid that in this day and age, and I assume that everything he's saying is true, because you tend to think you wouldn't make shit like that up even in wrestling especially when things are verifiable these days, not like the old days where everybody could win a gold medal or serve in the fucking special forces. But I'm afraid that these fans will think that it's fake because now they're convinced that everything in wrestling is fake and, and they look at shit the buckaroos do and all the comedy they do on the program and this won't have as much impact. But this is the way to, to use Hobbes, is it not? Yeah, I mean, it's after the fact. They should have done this a while ago. We got
1: a big, he was a baby face when they first told us the story. And then he became a heel and we said, why did they tell us that story and then turn him? And now he's been a heel for a few years and now if you're going to make him a killer, if you're going to make him what he could be, what he should be,
0: this is doing it right. Well, this was all part of the plan. They realized, shit, we shouldn't have said that sympathetic thing about him because we switched him heel. so we'll wait two years until everybody forgets he's even around. You hear that, Miro? So <sighs> just sit by the phone and wait. Yeah. I'm here alone, waiting by the phone, listening for one thing. Ring-a-ling, so make a vow to call me now and tell me how I can help you. All right, I knew you were going to sing
1: at some point, but...
0: All righty, that, that, that was surprise. the jingle to the uh, home finance company commercials they used to play on the wrestling show back in the mid-70s. The next up contest, this long percolating feud between the ass boys, Austin and Colton Gunn, and our friends FTR, Cash and Dax. do if, if Poor Cash may be about cashed out at this point. You know, this was again a not only a good match to have but a great finish to do if FTR ever beat anybody and ever won anything but they don't so it's just another job the FTR comes out they get a big pop on the entrance They showed B-roll from the double dog-collar match and Sockface and Taz both actually mentioned the Briscoes by name as the Briscoes. So maybe it's a step in the right direction. But even though the story was that FTR were all taped up, they weren't 100% after the dog-collar match, this is another example of Tony's... convoluted booking or inexperienced booking or whatever having a further reaching impact than just on one tag team or one talent the guns are have tons of potential the guns I've said they have all kinds of and they're animated and they have ability and they have talent and they kind of know where they are in the ring they're just green they need to work with people more experienced than they are and multiple times. And FTR would be the perfect team, an experienced team that knows how to lead a match, be the perfect team for guys like that to work with. But the problem is, yes, they're going to learn something, regardless of what the finish is, by working with FTR. But it would also help their standing in the community. It would help their aura. It would help their image. It would help their over-factor. If when they beat FTR, they weren't just beating a team that everybody else fucking beats and never wins and is never showcased and never featured except in other promotions and on other people's pay-per-views, it would get the guns over more if FTR was established as not just the favorite team of the fans because they know they're the best, but as a legitimate strong force that is world title level and almost never loses. And then when it happens, it would resonate and it would help elevate the guns. But when you have, regardless of whether they're the best in-ring tag team in the world or you got the best anybody at anything in the world, if they never succeed at it, they just obviously are better at doing it and have more talent, but they never win or they never fucking prosper because of it, then it kind of gets obvious what you're doing. So they, they, and here's another thing. We just saw again the Cucamonga contingent masturbating themselves for 20 minutes in a match that we're going to, we've seen four times before, and we're going to apparently see another two. But this match on camera, what was actually telecast on the program, couldn't have been seven minutes. They started out, they went to the break in the first segment after 2 minutes of action. When they came back, they were already getting heat on Cash and within less than a minute, Cash had hit the cold tag to Dax because it was cold because there was no heel remotely trying or able to stop it. It was a foregone conclusion, therefore that's a cold tag. And and then they go a couple more minutes and and go into the finish. I mean, there was some good wrestling in it. I saw an atomic drop by Cash Wheeler. God damn it, it looked good first time in 10 years. And then, you know, in the second segment, especially when they're going into the home stretch, Dax got a nice comeback. You know, they went back and forth. Cash actually hit a dive that the gun boy didn't see coming and wiped him out with it. It wasn't, you know, the typical hee hee. But, you know, they go back and forth and finally Dax is with Austin and Dax gets a roll up and Austin reverses it and rolls through and Colton reaches in from outside to hold his hand for the leverage. One, two, three. Just that. Fine finish, not for a team that never wins. Then you've just beat them again and it it doesn't really help the guns because everybody else is doing it too. And again, Moxley got 10 minutes with Dante, whatever the fuck his name was, and seven minutes of this made television over two segments. So I, tell me what I'm missing here. Well, I thought the gun boys look really good. They take good bumps, and you can't keep your eyes off them. They're
1: constantly in motion. We've been. Big fans of FTR for a long time. We've enjoyed the stuff that they've done. But I got to admit it, at this point, AEW has kind of gotten what they wanted. They've beaten me down. Like, I kind of... You know, when they come out, I know they're not going to win. They're going to get a big pop for their music. The match will be fundamentally good. But at this point, my favorite guys there have been treated like
0: job guys for a long time. And it's hard to get into them anymore. And a lot of... uh more casual fans than we are instead of bemoaning that they just, they're not that really offended by it because they're not in the profession. So they just go, yeah, those guys, well, I'll like somebody else. And, and that's the way that you basically, you know, rub off the appeal of any talent. If you, if they're obviously good, people obviously like them and they never succeed. Then sooner or later, people will stop giving a shit.
1: If you're New Japan and AAA, do you like the fact that your tag team champions are now losing all the
0: time? Because it was the Briscoes match, it was this match, and it was the Acclaim match. Well, and, and again, somebody's going to say well, they couldn't beat the Briscoes three times in a row. Well, you're right, they couldn't. But if this was a normal wrestling promotion with a normal booker and a normal philosophy about getting people over, then we would have been past the point a year and a half ago with FTR where we kept saying they need wins on TV, they need a concerted push they need a coherent fucking path to the top it would have been done it's late now anyway it's too late probably but there's never been a situation I can think of where anybody of this level has come in and at the same time as they've held all these belts they they almost never actually win anything to show you why they got them. And most of them, they won on other people's fucking programs to begin with. Let's get to the good part, shall we? We are an hour and a half into this wrestling program. And here, Tony Schiavone is in the ring with Rick Ross. And when I first heard the... The announcement of this, I was like, who the fuck is that now? But I remember he's been on the program before in a pre-tape with him. He must be friends with Swerve. Apparently, he's a rapper. Tony Schiavone just glorified him. A million-selling recording artist, and this guy and that guy. He's a big star. Well, I don't give a shit. But the point is, he's there to mediate, quote-unquote, that was the quote, mediate, the the face-off between Keith Lee and Swerve, because they've broken up their team, Swerve has switched heel, Keith is apparently just confused. I don't know what the fucking deal with his. But Rick Ross may be a celebrity to some people, but Jesus Christ on a cracker. Don't give him a live microphone anymore. Yes. For a variety of reasons. No, give him a live microphone every week.
1: this was the greatest segment this is up on that list jade cargill's debut maki ito singing while Sheeta gets beat up by vicky guerrero
0: this is up on that list of greatest moments in aew history this whole segment and and everybody had a hand in this i mean production talent matchmaking the the bookers the writers the producers i don't You see the genius of the jade debut was cody's doing
1: a promo this woman you've never seen before shows up seems to be doing a promo in her own world you're trying to figure out what's going on then the brandy thing happened so that's the second thing and then after all that if you remember i think it was cajun starks attack cody And Darby had to come through the crowd to save her. Just like with this one. There's all this stuff happening with Rick Ross and Keith Lee. And then even more bad shit happens
0: that makes it even greater. Well, and and that's... A, I gotta be honest with you. Obviously, I've seen and been around and been a part of segments that had different moving parts and something would go off kilter or you'd have to cover for something. But I've never seen anything like this where it was like everybody involved in this segment, they just sent them out there and said, "Make some, make some shit up on the fly," and they all had different ideas and did them at the same time. Tony was in the ring with Rick Ross, introduces Rick Ross, and then Tony didn't know who was coming out first, and and he actually said, "I think we're bringing out Keith," with a question mark, and there was an awkward pause. And then the music plays, and here comes Keith Lee. And I'm thinking, well, now Tony will probably be able to get the next one right. You know, we've narrowed it down. But Rick Ross grabs a microphone from Tony. And this guy is supposed to be the mediator. But we've already established, I think, in the interview a few weeks ago, he was friends with Swerve, but now he makes the big introduction, introduction for Swerve. He introduced, let's bring out the young legend swerve hey if you're keith lee in kayfabe at that point don't you think something's up one would think hey isn't he being a little more friendly to this guy than he is to me our mediator right you would have to but nevertheless swerve like merv he sounded like arthur treacher no music plays there's a pause Rick Ross says, hey, we, we he asked for the music. He said, play the music. Do this thing upright. And then nothing's happening. And here, and the swerve ain't coming out. And that's when Ross turns around and looks at Keith Lee and just says right into the microphone on TBS, you know, you're a big motherfucker.
3: <laughs>
0: and I'm, what the... And, and it went out live. So if you're watching live, like yes. I was you're like, did he just say that? And there, it was, it was done before they could even hit. Cause if they're, I'm assuming they're still on a seven second delay or some kind of situation because they've been bleeping in the past when, but they, they don't always catch it, but there was no effort to catch it. Cause it came out of nowhere. Cause you know, there's something going on in the production truck. They can't get the music to work. Something's happening. Everybody's standing around. And I bet the fucking, the guy on the, with his finger on the button was like, well, nothing's happening. Suddenly, here's motherfucker. Oh, shit. Too late. So, and even Keith Lee goes over to the ropes and makes a cut his mic signal at his throat and makes a funny face to one of the floor producers off camera. And then Rick Ross is still talking. He, we coming to make history. We coming to make, he keeps saying, we're coming to make history. And then he just starts ad-libbing just saying shit and at that point there's never any music plays swerve just comes out talking on a microphone and he's he's in a long black coat and he's dragging something that you couldn't see it was like a bag or a sack or a box or something you couldn't really see it on the camera shot but he's talking and he's saying that he can sounds like a Bray Wyatt interview where he's saying shit, but he ain't getting to a point, but he said, I can't be putting up with all these accusations. And then Rick Ross starts doing swerves promo in the ring to Keith Lee's face over the top of swerve. They're both talking at the same time. That's right. He can't be putting up with those accusations. And now Keith Lee is still standing there like, well, are you for me or against me? And he don't know what the fuck's going on. So then swerve tells Keith Lee, you need to keep an eye out. You need to keep track of what's going on. As a matter of fact, you need to keep eyes in the back of your head. And then nothing happens. And then Rick Ross says, it's a young legend. <laughs> we got to make history and nothing's happening. And then suddenly, Parker Boudreaux, who must have got stuck in that left turn at Albuquerque, was solo. Let's stop. You know who he is. No
1: one out there knows who he is. The people who watch the show every week have no idea who he is. Okay, well, listen
0: to me for a second. He hits the ring, but he doesn't hit the ring and attack Keith Lee. He hits the ring and stands behind Keith Lee. And Parker Boudreaux, I am now was going to explain, is the guy that they had signed in the WWE developmental and he was there for a while and they had big plans that originally, and then suddenly he was released and he signed here and we saw him once and we haven't seen him again. It's been months. So yes, you're right. Almost nobody in the building knew who the fuck it was. The announcer said Parker Boudreaux. So Parker comes from behind Keith Lee and spins him around and starts attacking him with some of the most awkward looking shit that I have ever seen. It's like he was a bucket of disconnected arms and legs just wailing away and maybe this is why he got dropped at the performance center. Keith Lee never went down. He just went to the corner (laughs) and kind of cut. This is becoming a running theme. Keith Lee doesn't really go down or sell. He just kind of leans over in the corner or on the floor and bundles up and they just kick him so parker boom 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 hits him with all his shit keith lee just bends over and sells in the corner then goes to shoot him off and keith lee reverses it and shoots boudreaux off and clotheslines him over the top and parker got that bump so he did that one so then Keith Lee turns back to swerve who's still in the aisle and Rick Ross has still got the microphone and he's over in the corner going, Whoa, Whoa. Every time somebody takes a bump now, he's going to go, Whoa. And Lee goes to start to go after swerve and some big tattooed fucker with a mohawk and a tattooed face jumps Keith Lee in the aisle and Keith Lee sits down on the floor (laughs) while the guy kicks him. Ten times and they look like shit because you can tell as green as Parker Boudreaux is this guy is greener than chlorophyll I mean awkward broad arms he didn't really know what to do with Keith Lee once he got him down there and Lee's getting back up and fighting him back and then Boudreaux comes from behind with a chair to Keith Lee's back quam and He sold it like a reverse junkyard dog stiffen up and fall bump where he stiffened up and went to his knees and just rolled over on the floor. There must be a health issue going on where he can't take bumps or he can't, I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, they both got on him and didn't really know what to do because he's so big and he's so immobile and they're so green. So it looked more or less like they started humping him. Did you see that when they were, they had their bodies and they were kind of pelvis thrusting him into the goddamn back of the apron of the ring or whatever. I'm like, they're humping him. And while they're doing this, Rick Ross is screaming, it's time to make history. And they pull out the ring steps. And by the way, nobody is trying to break any of this up. Nobody's trying to stop it. There ain't no bell ring and there's no referees. They're just, There's a goddamn multi-platinum Grammy award-winning artist screaming, it's time to make history, while two jolly green giants are beating the shit out of a giant black hole of charisma. So then they put Keith Lee on top of the ring steps. And now they pull whatever he'd had in the bag or the sack or whatever. It's a fake cinder block. And it looked pretty good as they pulled it out, but you'll find out it's fake in a second because they pull out the cinder block and they set it on Keith Lee's chest as Keith Lee is laying back first on the steel ring steps. And then while Swerve is climbing to the top rope, Rick Ross and I listened to this five times. And this is as close as I can come to the transcription. Rick Ross is screaming, I need you to know it is official. Mogul affiliates has fartened it up. I don't know what he said. The name of their group is Mogul affiliates and it's official. Apparently they fartened it up. I don't know what, did you hear what he, could you tell what he was saying? I don't know what he was saying. Yeah. Mogul affiliates though. I don't know about that name. Mogul affiliates. And so then Swerve comes off the top rope with a double foot stomp onto the fake cinder block sitting on Keith Lee while he's laying on the ring steps and the cinder block broke in a thousand pieces. Brian, I don't care if you weigh 500 pounds. If you set a cinder block on a human body and jump with both feet on that, Is the cinder block going to bust in a million pieces or is the human body going to burst like a sack of fucking buzzard innards from a butcher shop? Which is going to happen.
1: I've never seen a cinder block, Blake. I've never seen a cinder (laughs) block.
0: I've never seen a cinder block break like that. And Rick Ross said, It is official! This was the biggest fiasco that I've ever seen in my life. Rick Ross doesn't know what he's doing in there. I I guess probably they gave him the gist of what he was supposed to say, but he don't remember it. He doesn't do wrestling promos. The the two guys that they had attack Keith Lee don't do wrestling angles. Never have before, most probably. The goddamn... you couldn't double foot stomp a guy off the top rope while he's laying on a fucking uh, set of ring steps 10 feet below. You've got to add a cinder block. Um, the Whose music are we playing? The music don't work. Who's coming out? It was just incredible. And the motherfucker. You a big motherfucker. The plan nine of outer space of wrestling angles. They just, uh, production, layout, talent delivery, work, bad props, complete confusion. This is up there in the pantheon of the immortals.
1: When Boudreaux got in there and started hitting Keith Lee, it was almost like when you're a kid and you play wrestler and you do a move and then you do like some, I don't know what you call it. You put your arms out like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. He did that after every single time he hit him. It looks so fake. And then the other thing is, and we don't know who the tattooed man will end up being. Apparently he's a former minor league baseball player that is uh, now part of AEW. But they've done this a few times. I don't think it ever works, the idea of debuting people you've never seen before in this fashion. Where all of a sudden they're just beating someone
0: up, or all of a sudden they're just there, and you have no idea who the hell they are. The only way that you can make a debut of an unknown is when they are not only, they have uh, some combination of two things. Number one, they're incredibly visually impressive. And number two, they can do enough in the ring that you can give them three or four things to big moves to do and make an impact. And, and I know somebody's going to say, well, what this big six foot something tattooed face painted Mohawk fucking guy isn't visually impressive. Not these days. No, Because everybody looks like that. I'm talking about Jonah. uh, uh, What's his his old name? Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed. Okay. He could be an unknown that can make an impression because you can bring that big fucking guy out and let him do that splash off the top rope. And everybody go, holy fuck. It's like when you used to bring out the giant or Abdullah the Butcher or the goddamn freak or the behemoth or whatever. Somebody that's either tall enough or heavy enough or jacked enough or whatever that they stand out from whatever the current standards are and they can do even one or two things incredibly impressively and you build the segment around that, that's a surprise debut. The first time people in the 70s saw Crusher Blackwell, he comes out looking like a Fat fucking bearded country fuck. What is? That? And then the, at the bell, he hits a guy on the chin with a drop kick at 450 pounds. Be well, oh shit, that's the kind of impression you need to make. And even if they look visually impressive, if they can't work, then that's you know half or more of the fucking thing to where they've got to be able to do a couple of things to get over. Bam, bam, Bigelow. He could get over cold because as soon as he came out and did that cartwheel at that size and then a, did a drop kick or whatever the fuck he did, then you're like, holy shit. It's Jacob Fatu. He could get over cold because all he'd have to do is come out and have that animosity and fucking hit that big power slam or one of those big power moves and then the springboard moonsault. he oh shit. There was no oh shit here. There was just plenty of shit, but no oh. So anyway, and then we were well, ready we're, for the... Go ahead. One, one
1: last thing, because we've seen a lot of various, mostly hip-hop people, but even Shaq. We've seen different celebrities show up and disappear quickly. Snoop Dogg, Trina, Mike Tyson. I forgot about Trina. Various people. Based on the way this angle happened and the way Rick Ross was on the mic the entire time, is he coming back? Is he going to be a part of this every week? Because he kind of... They kind of set it up so he has
0: to be, didn't they? Well, you, you, if it made any sense, he would... The way this came off, he is the manager or the manipulator of the group putting these people together, mogul affiliates. But I would imagine if he's as big a star as everybody claims he is, since I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup, I'm sure he's probably been in a few, and I've never heard any of his music, I would, but I would have to think he's busy. So... It, 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 you know, are there, were they going to have him pre-tape instructions and send him in to the TVs? He came. I don't know. And then, goddamn, if he does come back, I mean, is he going to get him kicked off television, or is is you know is he going to forget what he's supposed to say, or you know, it could be wonderful. It could be just wonderful. But I haven't. No, one would think he would be involved with this group, but then one would think. A number of things logically from things they do on this TV and it doesn't work out that way I don't know uh, so the the big gamble Brian I think this was a response to your observation here a, a week or two ago that every time they put the women's segment on the viewership tanks so this time they figured well we'll wait until the last match and put the girls segment there. And if they tune out, that's where everybody tunes out anyway, when they see the main event come up, but they left 20 minutes on the air for Jamie Hader against Takaru Shida for the AEW women's title. And of course, Britt Baker and Reba were in the corner. I'm it. It, it sounded like from what I watched at the end that they had the people And it had been a good match, to be quite honest with you. By the time we got to this point, I said, I don't care if this is Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair and they're naked. I've had enough of this fucking program and I cannot watch any more of this shit. So I went to the finish. And again, sounded like they had a good match. I'm not going to knock it. But I will knock the finish because these have got to be Tonys. They got to be. Because you would think if you've been in the wrestling business for 15 minutes, you could do better than this. So, obviously, as we said, Britt and Reba are at ringside. Hikaru Shida's kicking the shit out of Jamie Hayter. And finally, they're going to do a spot where Reba draws the referee and Britt gets up on the apron of the ring with the kendo stick. But suddenly, they saw their cue, so Britt got up on the apron with the kendo stick, and Paul Turner, the referee, and he's been on the ball because he's been around for a while. He sees her getting up across the ring and immediately snaps his head around to Reba, drawing her up because she was late. So now Reba's got the referee. Baker's got the kendo stick on the apron. Hikaru Shida pulls Baker into the ring over the top rope, and instead of fighting over the stick, Hikaru Shida is punching Britt Baker in the head, barehanded, while Britt Baker's just standing there holding a weapon, getting punched in the head. And then Shida leaves Britt Baker alone, lets go of her. She's standing there on her feet with a kendo stick, staggering, and Shida goes to the middle of the ring, and then runs back to the turnbuckle and jumps up and kicks off of the turnbuckle and drop kicks Britt Baker while she was standing there waiting for Sheeta to do it, and then Britt Baker drops the kendo stick. And here's the thing. Yes, it was a wonderfully snazzy move when she ran to the corner and jumped up on and blah, 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 but meanwhile, on the other side of the ring, the referee's back is turned, being drawn by the other manager at ringside, and the clock is ticking. So that's where an a experienced booker would say, can your goddamn fancy fucking run up the ropes, fight over that stick and get it done, because the referee's distracted. But they have no restraint. So Sheeta then gets the stick and wallop, wallops Britt Baker with it, And Britt Baker goes to the floor and Sheeta drops the stick in the ring. And it's not going to be figured in again. But she doesn't know enough about the rules of wrestling to realize that she should throw the stick out of the goddamn ring. Because when the referee turns around, he's going to see a stick laying in the ring. So Reba gets down, and referee Paul Turner turns around. I put the stopwatch on it. He was distracted for 35 seconds while all that shit went on. So already, whoever came up with and laid out this finish has shit the bed. Hater rolls through on a Hurricane Rana and into a Power Bomb, gets a two count. The people were going crazy. They should have put this on earlier before I got fed up with the fucking program. Hater hits a clothesline, gets a two count, and then hits the ripcord. That's her finish. And gets the three count. So, <laughs> after all again, after all of this interference and zabada and bullshit and caca to get the people up and in all these twists and turns, after all the Interference is done with, instead of the baby face, then, or in this case, the heel, actually, since the heel's going over, instead of the baby face, then going for a Hail Mary, which is what she did with the Hurricane Rana, but Hater rolled through it and came up with a power bomb. boom, right there, one, two, three, they're up, the baby face almost has it, the heel rolls through and gets a quick boom, One, two, three. Instead, that's a two-count. Then a clothesline is a two-count. Then she hits the baby face with her finish and beats her flat in the middle. So they've gone from all this up and down and getting the people on this ride with the interference and the kendo stick and the referee turning his back and blah, 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 and then get the baby face in a spot where she looks like she's going to do it, but the heel rolls through. Bam, one, two, three. Instead, the heel rolls through one-two on the power bomb, and then another kick out, and then beats her flat with the finish. So the baby face was beaten flat. All the interference in the gaga was for nothing. It was nullified. And they got a flat fucking finish there. And the people were loving the match, and the people loved this finish. But it would have made more sense and accomplished a bit better of the point. If they didn't have to, again, the heel could have snatched it away by the skin of her teeth on the powerbomb or beat the baby face flat with three finishes in a row. So that's what they did. And then the heels jumped on Sheeta to get some more heat. And here came Tony Storm. She made a save, and then they beat her up too. And then my DVR froze, because they're always drastically out of time. And that was the name of that tune. Do you see what I'm talking about with the finish, or am I just being too picky? I see what
1: you're talking about with the finish. You did miss a good match.
0: It was a really good match. I I, I will even concur with that and say that if I could have stomached any more of these people, I would have probably liked to watch it, but I just I needed to get the fuck out of there. Oh, So I understand they had uh, some... Turmoil over some of the ratings this past week. They got a little asterisk. They played a little trick. Got a little overrun to sap some 10 p.m. Eastern uh, uh, numbers off the last or uh, onto the last uh, quarter hour. what's going on?
1: Well, let's talk about the ratings real quick. The overall number was 957,000 viewers, which is up 7,000 from last week overall. Brandon Thurston of Russellnomics has posted the quarter-hour breakdowns, the first quarter, which is Ricky Stark's live promo, his angle with the Jericho Appreciation Society, and Action
0: Andretti, 1,133,000 viewers. So the the Big Bang episode that night was a a favorite, right? Why don't they get the guys from the Big Bang Theory to be in the first segment? Boy, they ought to. You You couldn't tell the difference. Actually, they don't even need the Big Bang Theory stars because you can't tell the difference between those nerds and the fucking nerds in the wrestling fucking locker room. Just have them comb their hair the same way and send them out there. Segment two, the Elite versus
1: Death Triangle Match 5, 1,008,000
0: viewers. Oh, jeez! So they, 20, let's hold on, I'm doing them at 25,000, no, 125,000 people, 15 minutes into the show said fuck it.
1: Well, 15 minutes later, segment three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., the finish of the previous match, MJF's taped backstage promo, Action Andretti being burned by the Jericho Appreciation Society, Brian Danielson interviewed by Renee Paquette and confronted by Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway, 975,000
0: viewers. So between the start of the program and the time that... The EVPs finished their business, and the rest of that stuff went on. They had lost 158,000 viewers, all right? The fourth quarter, 8.45 to 9 p.m., which has the final two
1: minutes of the Danielson confrontation with Ethan Page and Stokely, Moxley's backstage promo, Samoa Joe's promo, Exodus Prime versus Hook. The firm attacking Jack Perry backstage and Moxley's entrance, nine hundred and fifty thousand viewers.
0: They ran another twenty-five thousand off.
1: The nine o'clock hour, John Moxley versus Darius Martin, as well as a Sheeta and Hader video and a Powerhouse Hobbs video, nine hundred and fifty-two thousand viewers.
0: They got they picked up two thousand people at the top of the hour when John Moxley headed to the ring.
1: 9.15 to 9.30, FTR vs. The Guns, as well as Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Sanjay's music video, and Rick Ross and Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland's live promo. Oh, boy. 895,000 viewers.
0: Is there. Oh, my, there went another five fifty-seven thousand. And by the way, I didn't mention, but yes, there was a music video where Sanjay and Jeff and Zippy and Jay Lethal rapped about the acclaimed, and it, uh, yeah.
1: Boy, they've really gotten their money's worth out of that giant, haven't they? <sighs> guy just shows up and stands there, does nothing. Why even use him if that's the case? That waste a giant. Why have a giant if he's going to come out there and do nothing?
0: Forever. But i tell you what, he's going to have a hell of a finish. He's going to use the spear as a finish. Only the thing is, with that pointed head, he's going to run straight into the guy and fucking impale them. And then he's going to stand up, and they're going to be fucking just dangling off his fucking protruding giant pinhead. That won't be on TBS, ladies and gentlemen, but what was on TBS... What it will be is you a big motherfucker.
1: 9.30 to 9.45, which was the final five minutes of the you're a big motherfucker promo, <laughs> as well as the Dark Order, uh, it just says Dark Order comma, I don't remember what the Dark Order did. Oh, right here. Dark Order Best Friends video... And the first five minutes of Hater versus Sheeta,
0: 873,000 viewers. There went another 22,000. So now at the start of the main event of the program, 127, 227, they have lost 260,000. Is that right? Yeah, 260,000 people.
1: Well, the final segment, the final quarter, 9.45 to 10 p.m., but we'll have something to say after this. Once again, Hader versus Sheeta, 869,000 viewers. And what I wanted to say before you do your final analysis here, what Brandon Thurston put here is the one-minute overrun, 10 to 10.01 p.m., which is the post-match with Britt Baker and Rebel involved and Tony Storm and Soraya nine hundred and forty eight thousand for the one minute overrun (laughs) so people were including that in the rating and saying that the women's match did better than previous main events oh good god
0: one minute there was no way to even they're expecting anybody to believe that what was that nine hundred and how many thousand the overall number was the overrun was nine hundred and forty eight thousand Okay, they're, they're expecting anybody to believe that 79,000 people suddenly said, Oh shit, Sheeta and Hater are one minute from the finish. We got to flip over. They were looking for the next fucking program at the 10 o'clock hour and they, turn, and they see an extra minute of the wrestling show. But <laughs> they started with 1,133,000, ended up with 869,000. That's 261,000 people that they ran off in two hours. And, and there were 80,000 people just waiting to watch the next thing. Yeah. And, and here, again, I, I've said, going back to the Attitude Era, the audience is built. The main event was the, the Clash of Champions for WCW in the 80s, the 90s, Raw, whatever. The main event was the big number. This is a complete reversal of trend. Now, Raw, the other week, uh did the same thing and and the worst hour was the third hour, but one can kind of you know agree with that or understand that because after three fucking hours of that shit, holy Christ, how much more can you watch but none of this is good and when you don't outperform your lead in when you're when you're in prime time, which in then the United States of America and the television industry is viewed as from 8 to 11 p.m. That's prime time. When you're not outperforming a rerun of a syndicated program that's in prime time adjacency, 7 to 8 or 7.30 to 8, and you're not outperforming that, that's not a good sign to the TV network. And I don't, what, what's on before Raw these days? I don't know cuz I'm usually not watching Raw at it. Well, that's club. true. You know what we need to do? We need to before the next program, we need to figure out what Raw's lead-in is and what its numbers are and what its numbers are in comparison to Raw both when it starts and when it finishes. Are they picking up a bunch of viewers that have been watching, you know, the Galloping Gourmet or whatever and losing those fairly quickly afterwards or does it take Raw an hour and a half or two hours or whatever to start really losing any appreciable audience just because it's so fucking long. That's an interesting comparison we ought to make. We probably will do that, but probably not today because it's Christmas weekend and by God, I got cheesesteaks and chicken nuggets waiting on me. What are you eating at last manner here for the 10th day of Hanukkah? Oh, I don't know. Well, it's
1: not the 10th day and there aren't, Ten days of Hanukkah. First of all, well, but secondly, I figured there was twelve days of Hanukkah, and it runs till after Christmas. Well, secondly, I'm not sure. I do have a Chick fil A sandwich with extra pickles from a few days ago, waiting to be heated up. Some. Oh well, that just sounds. Lovely. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. I hate to say it, but I am. Boy, you lead a sheltered life. All right, That's are we done life. here, Brian? That's a good life. Yeah, yeah, we're done.
0: All right, hey everybody. Let's do it together, Brian, you and me. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, joyous returns of the holiday season to everybody, right? That's right. You said, let's do it, you and me. I had no idea what you were about to say. (laughs) Well, I thought you'd read my mind. And the update, it's, it's one degree below zero here in the middle of the afternoon in Louisville, Kentucky, folks, and that's a good time to be gone. So, again... Ho, 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 Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Listen to the omnibuses. We will be back very soon with either breaking news or a whole brand new program. And until then, for Brian and everybody at Arcadian Vanguard, I'm me. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye bye, everybody.
2: Wednesday nights I get to stay up late, which Kenny Omega, while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Yeah. And my mom. Joe Jenna at the top of the car He trained himself in his own backyard and This is shit everyone should get Well everyone except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging around in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars you can watch the Bucks turn seven stars. Dynamite, so word Best ever tag team division, haven't you heard? We've got Jerry, Gold, Orange Cassidy. When Marco's stunt goes all the way Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while i masturbate. Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corny, he has no relevance since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold the candle to either Matt or him He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pyjamas like me, he's my hero The young bucks could shoot on bus Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself yet? Uh, no. choo the Wi-Fi, <laughs> nights, I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Pay my money to watch this show. Elser says I'm in the key demo. I am 39, I'm in the key demo. I'm a single